Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 274. I am Peter and joining me is not Matt. Matt is off this week for his birthday. So joining me instead is Connor. I mean instead. <laughs> I'm supposed to be here anyway. I'm not a replacement for Matt. Ah, potato tomato. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> a comic books podcast a dc comics podcast and we talk about the comic books on here show we read our dc books and we talk about them well normally at the end of the week i mean it's not really the end of the week in this particular case because of connor's work schedule this week we are recording this episode on a record breaking day so record breaking in fact that a couple of years ago it wouldn't have been possible to record the show on this day because the books wouldn't have been out yet that's right we are so you only have to go back one year. <laughs> we, are, we are recording on a Tuesday, which is surreal. It also means that uh, certain things which we would have otherwise fit in haven't made the cut. Now, luckily for you kind folk at home, I have arranged things for later in the week to add some segments uh, without replacement Connor. And... <laughs> God, what have you done? <laughs> There'll be a filler show by the time this goes out. Uh, so, um, look forward to to that. <laughs> but, yes, coming up on today's show, uh, for a start, the bonus segments will include the Comicsology Top 10, because we can't do that on a Tuesday. Because uh, <laughs> the, the, the top 10 doesn't exist yet, so there'll be none of that. Screw your list. None of that for Connor today. Uh, but what we'll all be talking about today is Batman 114, The Swamp Thing Issue 8, Arkham City, The Order of the World Issue 1, and The Nice House in the Lake Issue 5. Uh, plus, Carl's got a couple of Patreon books. Um, recording later in the week with a guest, uh, we'll be talking about the Wonder Woman 100 page uh, spectacular. I felt bad about missing that, so I made some arrangements to. Uh, get that in later in the week so uh, that will be part of the show uh, it'll probably be at the end of the show where I'll, usually we start with those big specials because it's like an extra segment it'll be towards the end before the uh, best of the week stuff but uh, yes so we have a weird episode this week but this is how it must be so on the so. bright side I should be here next week as well back to norm- on a normal day oh rejoice everyone I-, I got my schedule today and I have to work 10 days in a row so I will be here in body, maybe not in mind. I might be asleep, but but that means that you're back. Uh, you'll be you'll be off next weekend. You just have to work every day until next weekend. Yes, I'm going Wednesday to Sunday, then Monday to Friday. Then I have to fit in reading my books. <laughs> Otherwise known as Wednesday through next Friday. Well, yeah, but I, I was just making it clear. <laughs> just you know. Clarity. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Is it? Uh, yeah, isn't it? I, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, we- weird, weird week. Luckily, it's not a... Well, it's a heavy week, including the big anniversary book. Um, you know, m- maybe even if I feel super adventurous, maybe I'll squeeze in the uh, the horror anthology book as well with the Wonder Woman one, but I'm not going to make promises on that. You'll find out if I did or not later in the show, because I'll it'll be in the timestamps. You can just look at them right now. I don't know, but you will, because you're in the future. I'm not in the future. I'm here on Tuesday. Uh, so, <laughs> is, when, when they're watching this, you're in the future. This is so weird. I recorded the last episode of this with Matt 72 hours ago. <laughs> this, is, this is just weird. Which also means there's no news because there's been no time for news. <laughs> the, 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 like, like it makes them up. 
make a guess. Nothing's what happened. What we think will be the news this week. Uh, well, that's the thing. But fandoms next weekend, so they're going to save everything for then, right? Oh, you think they're going to have comics news about this time? Mm. Well, the solicits should be due for next week's episode, so at the very least, solicits will be out the same week as fandom. Will they? They were the last couple of months. They were early. They've, they've, they've shifted earlier in the month. Oh, have they? I've not really. We've been surprised. Been. I'll, I'll, let me just double check that. Yeah, solicits were week two last month, uh, and the week and the month before that too. Oh well, in that case, I guess we are due solicits next week. Obviously, not not this time. But that, that, well, I guess it depends though when it falls, like when the the start of the week falls in a month. You know, maybe it could be week three, depending on you know what day we started the month on, kind of thing. I mean, I get where you're coming from. Two years ago, I'd say that's irrelevant. It was always a set week based off of it was after a certain Wednesday when they still released on Wednesdays. It was the, the Friday after the Wednesday. It was it was always that. And then things changed. So who knows anymore? Friday's always after Wednesday. Depends how you look at it. From a certain point of view, Friday is before the next Wednesday. Well, that's when you're crossing over into another week. Uh, in a week, Friday's always after Wednesday. That's just simple. But what is a week if not just an artificial structure that we have placed amongst ourselves? Yeah, a lot of things that exist in the planet are stuff we made up, but we still they still exist as they are, as they were made up afterwards. Only if you insist. I think you'll find that when it comes to the structure of a week, many of us do it insist just so that we can understand when things are going to happen. I mean, it's it's useful. I'm not arguing that. Just, you know, it's not necessary. It's pretty necessary. Um, but yes, uh, yes, the week. A, a lot of elements of time are not man-made. They're based on the sun. They're based on rotations of the earth, that sort of thing. But the week, is, yeah. But the week is just something we split the the year up into, just to make make sense of it. Um, but. Uh, you know, I didn't realize until like last year that the, the the year doesn't evenly divide into fifty two. It's actually like, like in the way the same way that a month isn't four weeks, it's four weeks and a few extra days. A year is fifty two weeks and a few days, and I didn't realize that. I guess because it doesn't come up a lot <laughs> until like last year. Why did it come up last year? Uh, well, basically, I was wondering. Uh, it was when I was looking at my letterbox stats, and I was I looking. At, <laughs> and I was looking. You were like, "Why is there a week fifty-three? Yeah, why is there a week fifty-three, and why is it really shit in terms of numbers? Because it was only a few days. <laughs> it's because as well, like on letterbox specifically, when they do theirs, they still count it Monday to Sunday weeks. So week one, if if the first of January falls on a Friday, week one is still only those like three days. That is incorrect. Are you sure? On my letterbox stats, it does not work like that. Whatever day the week start, whatever whatever day the year started on, every week starts that day for that year on the stats. Huh. I swear, when they were running it live last year, maybe maybe they changed it in retrospect. There was that way last year too, because I I remember, I remember wondering what you know, because and you can tell because like this year specifically, Thursday's the last day of the week for their stats, watching movies, and then you're back to, like, the start of a new week on a Friday. Oh, so sure, okay. The week starts on a Friday, for stats' sake. 
and this is probably the dullest opening tangent that they have ever had on this show. Well, I mean, Matt's not here, so I can't talk about my, my, my sports stuff. So this is what they get instead. I mean, I can still talk about the wrestling if you want. I mean, I'll, I'll make it work. If you listen to 30 seconds of me talk about football, I'll listen to you talk about 30 seconds of wrestling. Not worth it. So that's a... Uh, well, there we go. And this, uh, I tried. Sorry, swift, folks. Swiftly move on. Um, and Matt's lucky he's not here for me to make fun of his uh, uh, horror movie watching. His October <laughs> horror movies. And I'm doing air quotes for the audio listeners. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's a very loose definition of horror. He's stretching things pretty... I want to be a part of the Octoberthon. I want to be part of Spooky Season. I'm going to watch This Is The End. Because it's apocalyptic. What? Fine, mate. You can just watch movies. <laughs> and he's watching some teenage vampire comedy thing today. I think it's the Disney thing that yeah. I've, I've never heard of. But I think it was like a Disney Channel thing from what I gathered. What's going to be next? <laughs> Little Vampire. Little Vampire. Maybe some Halloween special episodes of some kids' shows. I, I don't know. He's, he's breaking the mold. The, the, the thing he's watching today that we're talking about here is a mum's got a date with a vampire. Oh, there you go. I just, I feel like everyone wants a lighter thing like that once in a while in your horror movie marathon, but I feel like Matt is almost all this fringe level if it stuff. Was just, if it was just that, we'd be like, I mean, yeah, that's definitively a vampire movie, right? We'd probably we probably would have just not said anything, mm-hmm. but after some of the other stuff, he's definitely stretched it with. Now, now we're questioning it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, he, he did watch all the Elm Street movies, so I mean, there's that. Those are definitely real horror movies. But his 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 picking since then has left a lot to be desired. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, so and if you know, if you are also taking part in watching horror movies for October, by all means, let us know what you're watching. Uh, genuinely curious but uh we'll get on to comics let's talk about comics so batman 114 james tyne in the fourth writing jorge Jimenez on the art and uh, next part of fear state and we'd left the cliffhanger last time with peacekeeper x coming for peacekeeper one and that takes up a, a big chunk of the issue we'll start with that though we start with uh america molly and queen ivy down in the uh, down in the garden beneath Gotham, and uh, it's kind of a little bit of uh, their philosophy on on people, on revenge, on anger. Molly telling Ivy she kind of has to let that anger go uh, in order to actually make any kind of improvements. You know, a lot of people up there kind of have that same attitude. Uh, so you know, there's maybe pointing out a little bit of the hypocrisy in a gentle way, so as not to incur her wrath, because it could have went. Scary. She is pretty scary. It would have went that way. But uh, this basically, this conversation leads her to realizing what Scarecrow might be about to do. Uh, when she th- when she says that she wants to use the machine that was used on her uh, for people all over the city in one big blanket thing to give them a chance to restart, uh, she realizes that Scarecrow's got, you know, got something sinister up his sleeve. Um, but from then on, it's basically the conflict between the two peacekeepers. It's even a while before Batman appears. It's it- mostly just a big action sequence from here on out. He does make quite an entrance when he does show up. Uh, you know, the, the shadow Old of the page. cape. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting about this, though, is Saint, to me, 
him talking about how you know, we have to try and you know we're, we're here to save the city and save everyone in it that includes peacekeeper one so we'll try and do this peacefully and take him in and, and rehabilitate him and do, do what we can with them um but what, what gets me is just these little moments where the real saint comes out um where when peacekeeper one does actually slash at peacekeeper x after a little bit of talk he yells uh, peaceful options taken off the table. Peacekeepers take him down like the lowly dog he is. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that he was really, really gunning for that peaceful option in the first place. He was putting up a brave face. I feel like he was strategically wanting the peaceful option to you know save the money that he spent on peacekeeper one and because it was an easier solution in terms of like rehabilitating the the public image of the program but he also is quite enjoying this way yes first of all you made peacekeeper one armor which is impressive but admitting this that the peacekeeper x weapons will cut through like butter like it can't be that good (laughs) yeah i'm like that's all well and good that at the minute you're the only one with peacekeeper x weaponry but that's not how the world works that won't stay that way someone else will make it and also what's to stop peacekeeper x from being infected by scarecrow toxin just the same way that peacekeeper one is it's all just circumstance right now well, but... that's that's when you get to peacekeeper Z. <laughs> is he on dial at the task force Z? oh maybe maybe that's that's the trick just is can't it... stop it coming <laughs> is, is it just peacekeeper x re- reanimated it just goes back and forth between them. Uh, not to spoil the end of this year, <laughs> where he's definitely, definitely dead. Uh, so, yeah, they have a big fight. Uh, they've got their own sort of spear, like, sword things that come out of their, their gauntlets. Uh, they're whacking each other, throwing each other at buildings. All the usual stuff. Batman makes his big entrance, though. Really nice stuff with the, the shadow of the cape sort of on the on the ground. Uh, big full pitch like spread. Like, when he sees the shadow, it's just like, oh no. Yeah. And then the full page. Really nice stuff. Um, I I love this escalating in Saint saying, you know, we have to like detonate, you know, a bunch of stuff. Uh, well, even before we get to that, he, he says that Gotham's no longer an urban setting; it's a war zone. You know, the, all this weaponry, like, it doesn't matter that it's not meant to be used in an urban setting. And I love that you just get one panel of Scarecrow just going, heh, 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 heh. Like, this is just escalating everything. Even even Saint getting, losing control, even that's part of the fear. All of this. Something I really like about the structure of this here is, yes, it is technically one panel of Scarecrow, like you say, but it's actually a lot bigger and it's in the mm. background um, behind those other panels of Saint. And it gives this, this impression of, you know, Scarecrow being behind everything. You know, he's there sitting back. I say laughing at the, the, the situation and he's just there in the background and it has been for a while with this whole plan and uh just just that in the art it's, it's really clever yeah i think what i get across here is that well, well we said this is mostly one big fight in a lot of ways that is not a critique i actually think this is one of the best issues of fear state yet because it it really feels like it's escalating and paying off like what it's been building to like everything that comes out of this which is the result of uh saint eventually saying we can't let any of this tech. We I mean, what once Peacekeeper X is is killed uh, by Peacekeeper One. Um, we can't let any of this tech get into the hands of of Batman. So he's like, you know, detonate it. 
and even before that, the fact that Peacekeeper X whips out this uh, laser cannon, which is so destructive, and then Batman's reaction to it, which is what the hell have you unleashed upon my city? And just the idea that this is turning into a war zone. This is turning into a sci-fi war zone in the middle of it's, Gotham. It's pretty cool as well. It, it, like just the, the visual of it. it coming out it of the building? It takes out like a whole building. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, it's neat stuff. And then the army of, uh, of, of drones, of, yeah, like mech drones, uh, and Peacekeeper ones all almost two-faced slate with half of his face all all scarred. Uh, it's really nice stuff. But uh, when Peacekeeper X goes to blast them with his uh, laser cannon thing in his arm, Peacekeeper 1 just shoves his blade or his arm into it and it explodes both their arms off. Like, they both lose an arm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty... Really fun yeah, sequence. It's, it's gruesome, like, to watch. Yeah. Um, and Peacekeeper 1 just beats him to death. Uh, just beats Peacekeeper X to death. Uh, and Scarecrow just seems to like, because he starts moving, because you get this impression that Scarecrow's just been watching, like, still. And then the panel we get from here, uh, as he's talking, because he's actually been, it's not just a voice in his head, it's like he's actually talking to Peacekeeper 1 throughout the issue. Because uh, when we go to Scarecrow, he's actually continuing the, the dialogue. Uh, yeah, I don't know if, if this is something I've read in, who was in this book, or maybe it was even in the Harley Quinn book, there's something with Mad Hat Tech, maybe. Yeah, 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 Matt Hartex. He's it's been in this book for sure. In this uh, one, yeah, yeah, he's um, stolen some Matt Hartex and he's using so that. I'm assuming in... that's how he's controlling slash talking uh, to Peacekeeper One. There's there's something going on there. Yeah, I suspect that he's adapted it uh, in some way. Uh, yeah, I don't actually think it's actually like a a thing that they have to wear a hat for. In fact, if, if I... I mean, the technology itself was never exclusive to that. That's no. just hat as gimmick, right? Yeah, yeah, but he's obviously put something in his you know, injected him with, like, a, a chip or something. Yeah. Uh, not that everyone should fear being injected with chips. I mean, just... Uh, uh, well, no one's injecting anyone with chips, except Scarecrow, potentially. Unless we're talking potato-fried chips. Uh, in which case, if Connor Why could... Why would you inject those? In which case, if Connor could inject those, he probably would. I wouldn't. I could just eat them like a normal person. They're very nice. <laughs> You never heard the phrase injected straight into my veins? Never never heard that? I have. I, I tend not to use it because reasons. Yeah, you're scared of needles and all that, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, sure enough, all all the drones explode, uh, try to cover Saint's tracks, and the issue ends with uh, Miracle Molly being there to sort of help Batman up and saying, hey, I know what Scarecrow's planning, we have to stop him, it's time to go. Uh, so ends in a sort of call to action. But I thought this was a really good issue at sort of selling like how big of a deal everything's gotten. It really felt like everyone's losing control of the situation and this fight and it reaching to the point where it's notably the only one who's satisfied by all of this is Scarecrow. He's the only one who's actually happy with how this turned out. Oh, definitely. No, it's a, it's a really strong issue. And I have to, I'm, I'm really glad that I read the uh, Miracle Molly Secret Files issue. Yeah, I think that added to it, yeah. I don't think it was essential. I think you'll stuff fine if you didn't read it, but when she's talking about the machine and what it does to people, I think having actually seen what it did to her, I have a better understanding of it now than I did when it was just some I think theoretical thing we'd heard about before. I think it would have just been some sort of like random plot device had I not read that one shot. Yeah, I'm sure we, we'd heard about it in the past when we were dealing with Miracle Molly when she was introduced. Yeah. Uh... Um, but actually seeing it, yeah, it, it feels like a real thing now rather than like just some hypothetical plot device. Yeah, very weird. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm glad I read that issue too. Uh, it was also, I mean, it was also just a really good issue on its own. 
uh, it was, yeah. But which in context of what it's done for this story, yeah, uh, I, I think it, I think it does help a lot. Well, I, I mean, I also think I understand her character a lot better after reading that one shot. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, uh, that's good. No, a really good story. It really felt like it, it built the stakes and it built the like this this fear state story now feels like it matters and that's a really weird i don't i i feel like i hate using that phrase in comics because people always say well does matter mean it's you know important to continuity or whatever like there's a lot of like qualifiers that people start to throw in that when i say matters i just mean it feels like it's worth your time it just it feels like it's important it feels like a big deal in its own context it doesn't just feel like you're reading filler it feels like you're reading something that's got a genuinely exciting story that's that's got payoff and it's got uh escalating it's stakes it's and a loaded word matters, isn't it? Because like I say, you can talk yeah. about continuity. You can talk about it in terms of, is a sto- story worth reading? And then even within a story, you can talk about, does this matter to this story? Like, you know, like, like I, I would say that, you know, that Miracle Molly one-shot matters to this story. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, use it however you want. Yeah, uh, all I really mean here, though, is that it's, uh, it, it feels like essential reading while I'm reading it. And not because it's essential to any other book or to understanding anything else. It just feels essential while I'm reading it because it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, when it's I... what you want out of most things that you read, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's what that's that's that's, the, that's what you're aiming for. Uh, very much every time. Uh, all right, what are you giving Batman one fourteen? Uh, I'm gonna give it an eight point five. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'll I'll agree with that. But uh, I've been really digging Fear State by and large. Uh, and the tie-ins have been mostly fun. I mean, it's kind of that weird thing where the tie-ins for the books that have been interrupted with the tie-ins to a point, obviously they're not as good as the regular arcs, but they're still good tie-ins. Uh, more on that later. Yeah? Oh, Harley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've not read Harley, so I can't, <laughs> I can't comment on that one, but... Um, I can, unfortunately. But, uh, yes... Uh, there you go, Batman 114. The Swamp Thing, issue 8, Ram V, Mike Perkins, uh, wrapping up this, uh, this trip to the forest that we've had, these last few issues, uh, and the flashbacks that have went with them, kind of getting to understand, uh, Levi a little bit more and his backstory, but at the same time not having a complete definitive answer as to exactly how or why the green connected to him, although there's definitely some implications and and hence mm-hmm. uh, sprinkles throughout this story. Um, he's fighting uh, Kimo, uh, as we set up last issue. Uh, a lot of fun stuff. Peacemaker's coming for him as well during all of this. Uh, but then, of course, Parasite jumps out, having consumed a lot of the, the green. Uh, so we get Uber Parasite fighting Swamp Thing. Uh, very uh, Doomsday-esque. Very Doomsday-esque. I mean, it was hard not to think of Hulk and Abomination during yeah. this as well, you know, a lot of similar kind of visuals. Uh, but this idea, he looks into Parasite's past, specifically his origin, and the, the man that became Parasite, and kind of like, that leads to him thinking about his own past again. And we learned last issue, I don't know, I don't, were you here for last issue when we found out about the... I, I literally read that issue today. Okay, so we found out about the father being shot, and it was kind of, not Levi's fault directly, but you know, it was, it was a protest against his company, and you know, all yeah. of the guilt that goes along with that. Um... And here he sees his mother doing a march in the street with his brother. He goes to see his father, and his father... We'd heard part of this before we'd seen his father forgive him. You know, I think that was way, way back in issue one or two. We, we got, like, 
part of this this deathbed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this deathbed scene. But here we get this idea of Swamp Thing being in the room and kind of this maybe being the moment where the the regret and the trauma and the the, the emotions kind of being what opens the door in many ways to, to Swamp yeah, Thing. This is kind of where he was chosen. Uh, which is interesting because, you know, we speculated so much about his brother. And what's funny is that this issue does actually flip it back around to say, no, his brother is involved in some stuff and he's important and there's a lot of relevant stuff with his brother. Uh, but his brother isn't, like, responsible for him being Swamp Thing. His brother actually wanted to be Swamp Thing, <laughs> kind of. Uh, he thought he was the important one, the special one, that cared more about the green and all these yes. things. Uh, and has his own plans for what's going to happen next. Yeah, so he's going by header now, and he's got antlers. <laughs> just, to, yep. just to throw that out there. And basically, he talks about how the, the green, uh, you know, you don't understand it, brother, you never did. Uh, and I, I like how we basically see, like, maybe the, the seed for why one of them was chosen to be the new avatar of the green was when they were kids and their mother did this ritual on them. And I like how they're actually color-coded here because uh, you can tell Levi's got the green like necklace on. Just to, yep. it's, it's the old Power Rangers logic. Uh, whereas his brother has an orange necklace on and that's actually the color he's mostly kind of like embodying right now with the fire yeah, and all even, that. Uh, even his lettering, like the bubbles have like an, an orange outline. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've definitely just instantly made that his color. Uh, Which I think is really interesting given that Swamp Thing also uses orange Quite considering all the lettering in this, whenever Swamp Thing speaks, it's an orange bubble with black text instead of white. Whereas uh, Hedera, it's just an orange outline. He's just on the fringe of the green, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you could make that connection. I think just from a colour point of view, orange is a nice contrast to the green, which is probably why it was chosen for Swamp Thing's boxes in the first place. I assume that's why it was chosen yeah. for that in the first place, but the reason for choosing this and just using the outline, it's hard not to see the symbolism of like linking the two like that oh sure but i'm thinking of the character in general being more orange and present presentation means that he contrasts directly with the color of swamp things so there's yeah you know uh i, I could see a lot of that going on uh it's actually him that kind of like rips the green out of uh parasite and kind of like has some 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 form of control over it and he talks about how oh you know the the, the trees all expect us to eventually see things the way they do but i think it's time that the, the green learned how, what humans actually are and talks about them being corruption and, and so on and so on. It's, 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 an, it talks about how the only reason there is a swamp thing, an avatar chosen from the humans is to try and teach humans, mm -hmm. you know, what it means, you know, and to be better. And Hedera is just, no, no, they're never going to be better. You need to learn anger almost. Which I think makes them an interesting antagonist because, well, and to, to, for two reasons. One, just in the, in the general sense, that is a, obviously a very jaded, cynical, dark way of looking at the world. This idea that we can never be better, so we might as well sort of give in to like what we are. Or, or, or in the extreme case, maybe he's even suggesting, oh, I should help the green annihilate the human race or take over again or whatever. Classic nihilism, right? Yeah, yeah, nihilism, right? Um, but I also like it from the perspective of the characters that... And the flashbacks before, Levi was the one who really didn't believe in the trees, didn't believe in the green, didn't believe in the spirituality of the forest. His brother did. And while his brother's not turned his back on that, he still talks about the green as a, as a living thing. He still, under, you know, he still talks about it as believing in its presence. 
but the idea that he sort of turned on on humanity and kind of like basically what i'm trying to say is that levi came across as the cynic before and his brother came across as the more spiritual one but now it's kind of flipped in a weird way i think in some ways that's possibly why levi was chosen you you don't need to you don't need to convert the non you know the, the mm. believer already you know he already believes whereas by choosing the non-believer and converting it you gain someone obviously it's it's backfired a little bit that they they lost someone because of that choice yeah alternatively you could also argue that maybe they sensed something in his brother that suggested maybe we shouldn't pick him because it maybe mm-hmm. has this you know this potential to be this or even just the, you know, that classic idea of like the right person to take on any sort of job with responsibility or position of power uh, in a real world sense in a comic book sense we're maybe talking like people who are chosen to be superheroes is that the best people for the job are the ones who don't crave it in the first place because of the ones that will actually take it seriously you know they're not like oh i'm attracted to making these big decisions and having power yeah. So then it's about having the power. The people who are reluctant are the ones that tend to end up doing a better job because they take it seriously. They see it as this... The reason why they didn't want it in the first place is, is because they knew how much responsibility and how much of a burden it would be and uh, like how much... You know, all that stuff adds up. So it, I think that's... You know, there's a lot of facets here to kind of like break down the two characters and uh, kind of get to know his brother as an antagonist and his brother lets him go he's like yeah you know go and take out the device that's like corrupting the forest which of course turns out to be from you know Levi's company that he works for uh, surprising absolutely no one but that's okay because it, it's, it's not sold as a surprise it's kind of sold as this sad thing where you think he kind of already suspected that you know it doesn't come as across as like a shock to him I don't think it, it's just a look it's just a sort of look at the, the logo but it's kind of like this feels more like it's confirming like a, a fear that he, w- he wasn't willing to admit, rather than a huge yeah, shock I to mean, the system. Uh, the, the the dialogue from his brother is that look upon its origins and despair. Yeah, so I, I would say despair is the right word for for his reaction. Yeah, so it's incredibly sad. It's it's kind of this this realization that you know where he was working for is is not good news. He has a fight with Peacemaker here uh, at the end, and it's interesting because he. Instead of just winning the fight, he actually takes out Peacemaker's bomb uh, and says, hey, you know, my, my veins will replicate the readings that it's supposed to get. They'll never know that you're not, in, you know, implanted anymore, so you're free. If you want to make peace, go away. <laughs> go, go away yeah. and peace will be had. Uh, so, again, just another sign of Levi's kind of, like, intelligent compassion uh, as the Avatar of the Green... Um, but we see that his brother is flying uh, to the US. He's at JFK Airport uh, in, the, in the last page. And perhaps more interestingly, we get the you know the people at the company, the 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 CEO, whoever the owner, Prescott. Prescott, thank you. I, I guess it makes sense that that would be his name. Yes, I'm just assuming so. Yeah. That, that that would be logical. But yeah, we see him, and it's the, you know, the dark boardroom with everyone's in the shadows, and basically, okay, Amanda Waller's failed. So it turns out Amanda Waller was doing something on their behalf by sending in the Shocking. Suicide Squad. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, this is Amanda Waller one on one. But we're going to have to switch tactics, and he says, you know, go pick up Jennifer Reese quietly. Uh, so Jennifer, who's been absent for a couple issues, obviously, while we've been in this forest. 
is now coming back into the story in a, a very intimidating because that last panel the you know the figure with the scar and shadow like is, is very much like she's going to get kidnapped and going to be in jeopardy so we're going into these final two issues although matt was reassuring me last week that uh ram v has basically indicated that season two of this is yeah yeah i am um, pretty much confirmed it it is confirmed i think i actually i think it was when i read his newsletter when we talked about how was it mm. we weren't sure that this that the uh that it was off the other books um he did say in that that yeah season two is coming uh there'll be more details he said there'll be details very soon so i'm assuming in the next last of us it's yeah which would probably mean it's only missing like a month or two before it's back oh this is what eight so we got two months for nine and ten so december which we've already had we'll be missing an issue yeah so then so could be back in january could be back in january yeah i mean even it, if it takes it, a few months off whatever i mean it's not a big deal i will but... say either it's in the solicits or maybe they are announcing it at like the the, the fandom event because maybe they have mm. some comics things and it's a little bit further out like a few oh, no. months that said though solicits now have become very different to what they used to be and uh, now they're half of a month and to halfway yep. through the next month so uh yeah that's true because december um, solicits were not december solicits december solicits were half of december and half of january so what we're actually waiting on next time is half of january and half of february pretty much yeah uh Rambi, he, does, he doesn't work as far ahead as some other writers do um it was just this last week or two that he's only just writing the script for issue 10 of this now ah so he's kind of like me and uh and, and university <laughs> yeah 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 because look, there there are definitely some writers who, when I read their newsletters, they're like, "Yeah, I'm working on this project, that project. I've got the scripts. I'm like seven issues ahead on the scripts, so they can, because they're working on so many different things, so they can send them out to the artists, you know, nice and early." Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't get the impression he's quite like that. It's all right. I'll it, it'll be there. It'll be to the artist at its deadline, I assume, but it's it's not much further ahead than that. Right, the, the books. Outside of his control, I don't believe the book has ever been delayed, so I uh, can't really fault him. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I can't really fault him. If, it, if he's still hitting the deadlines, there's not really much we can say about it. Uh, I mean, obviously this book's been fantastic. Uh, this this what, trio of issues of the flashbacks uh, while he's been in the forest have been... And the flashbacks have been interesting, because I remember when you talked about the first issue of this arc, you weren't super into it because you felt the Suicide Squad were kind of in the way. It was just kind of there. Um, I think the the second issue in particular out of the th- out of this three was the the strongest. I'd probably agree with that. Uh, this one has a big plot ramification of his brother being like directly yeah. involved in present day ongoing. Not just that, but straight up being an antagonist. Which and it's not. It, it didn't feel like a big thing. Like oh, his brother's like something now too. It kind of just felt like it fit the story that his brother, who has been very heavily seeded throughout all those flashbacks is going to play a role in this uh so and then they did a lot of things in this issue as well where they, they showed like him wearing that mask being in that that march wearing that kind of uh ceremonial attire and things like that so they were kind of planting these seeds throughout all these flashbacks that that there was more to this with him yeah yeah and uh don't worry i still enjoyed this issue quite a lot and in, in um, fact, for, from issue one, we've been saying it sounds like his brother's somewhat responsible for whatever happened to him. So yeah, we we just didn't quite know how, and we still don't know exactly, but we're getting closer. Yeah, yeah. So 
so I would say like this 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 run is definitely broken down into parts. It definitely feels like one to four were apart. We got a, a one single issue sort of fill in kind of, and it was very good though. Like, don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic issue, but even one of the best issues of the whole book. Uh, and then we had this three parter, and then it seems like we're going to get like a two parter to wrap things up of this season one, if you will. Yeah, uh, I'm down for that. With a little, it's only ten issues, and you managed to get what like four sections out of that. Yeah. Uh, so you know, because uh, I, I presume that uh, issue ten will have a, a neat ending. May, may, I mean, it may have a cliffhanger, but it'll be a definitely. It'll definitely feel like a cliffhanger that was designed to be a a lasting cliffhanger for a bit. I'm more okay with it if it is a cliffhanger now. Now that we know there is a season two coming. Oh, it'd have been maddening if we didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been frustrating. Um, I mean. I would have had a little bit of faith if he knew, you know, if like you know the creative teams know, like if they know that that they've got more, it's fine. You can leave us in suspense for a little bit. But knowing that, no, it's definitely coming. If if it is just a full on just cliffhanger, whatever, uh, I'm okay with it. We're only going to be waiting a few months, probably. Yeah. Uh, all right. What are you giving Swamp Thing? I shoot it. Uh, I'm giving eight point five. That's a real solid issue. Yeah, I can care. Uh, I'm being born today, just agreeing with the scores, but uh, it, it sounds a bit like oh, eight point five. It's solid, like for this book, that's on the lower tier <clears> still. I think overall, um, compared to what it has been given, but compared to other books, an eight point five is you know very very good. Yeah, Arkham City: The Order of the World, issue one. Dan Waters writing with Danny on art. Uh, so this was something I'd been looking forward to, just based on kind of the. The, the aesthetic they were going for with the covers, the harkening back to Arkham Asylum, a serious house, serious house on a serious earth, pardon me. And, you know, this is set in continuity. This, you know, they reference AD, and that's kind of changed things. It's kind of about a bunch of the inmates who used to be in Arkham, who were able to escape Arkham and didn't die in AD, and what they're going through, hiding out in the real world, in Gotham, what they're up to, and it focuses primarily on Doctor Joy, who is who is the only therapist who survived the Arkham attack because she was she wasn't in that day, right? Everyone else was there; they all died, but she survived. That's really terrible staffing levels when you can only have one therapist a, a day off at a time. <laughs> I mean, how many therapists are like qualified to? I would say when your job is rehabilitating the mentally ill you should probably have quite a lot of therapists on staff that's like the main thing yes but how many people want to work at arkham though maybe it's uh, that, that's significantly less I, I, it, it's got to pay pretty well right i don't know I, I don't know i'm not convinced how, how else do you get people to sign up that's what i'd say about teaching but a lot of teachers work for crap money so that's true teachers are weird so you know uh you make a good point. I rescind everything. Uh, so, yeah, so the the book opens with kind of her trying to calm down this little girl. It turns out rat catchers under her bed and was planning on eating her. Uh, and this, Allegedly. Yeah, this delightful opening scene. Uh, but yeah, our two main characters are, are, are Dr. Joy and then Detective Stone, who kind of is, is very disgruntled, very, very cynical about well, not they should be looking out for these these inmates of Arkham who aren't going to Arkham. Arkham's not currently functioning because of what happened there. They're just going to Blackgate, and 
he he tries to help her out and understand, but of course he's also like like there's a certain point where I just have to protect people in this city and you know I I can't prioritize the safety and well being of the people who are going to cause everyone else harm. Uh, so that that's kind of a central theme of the of the book. But uh, you know we have this moody art style, a lot of black inks, a lot of black backgrounds in the pages, really flat colors. Yeah, it, it's definitely going for that crime horror thriller vibe um you know they go to arkham to fetch some of her things so we kind of get them walking through the halls and her office which has got like old techniques of dealing with of uh mental patients like you know weird straight jackets with like head like cage Lots things yeah. <laughs> like really you know dire stuff because there's a really nice bit where she talks about how uh they used to be called madhouses then they changed to uh, asylums. asylums and you know Arkham never got the memo but they're supposed to be mental hospitals now um, it's it just talking about how things have changed but basically admitting that the reason why they keep changing the name is because it's like well they keep not working they're, they're hoping that every time they rebrand that, that maybe it's, this is a more humane version with a, a more progressive science we'll solve it this time yeah yeah and uh, I haven't got it yet no no uh so I kind of I kind of dug this that this was a mix of, I think some new villains and also obviously some, uh, not like like like, like quality C tier villains I'd say you know like uh like I love Professor Pig so like when it cut to Professor Pig while well, she was like describing him for a couple of pages, uh, oh, with the deep reds and everything behind yeah him. I, I thought that was great uh, uh Professor Pig what one of my greatest uh like nerd out or like you know where i popped moments is when i was playing arkham city for the first time right if people have not once played arkham city and the way that game works is you got the main story but you've got like a bunch of side story things that uh tend to have like a, another villain tied because there's so many bat villains that they've got so much to play with in terms of like all the different stories that are playing and there's a murder mystery going throughout the whole thing uh and i, I distinctly remember it because uh, alfred on the comms makes a, a long halloween joke at one point uh, when you get to one of the crime scenes. But you're tracking down this murder mystery the whole time. And I'd already finished the main story, so I was just kind of like wrapping up some side quests. And the reveal at the end of the story is that the killer is Professor Pig. And because Professor Pig, especially at that time, was so new, because Professor Pig was only created in like 2009, so that he was like two years old when Arkham City came out, I was so excited that they put Professor Pig into that game because... You know, he's such a new character. So I'm glad that at least one new villain from the past, like, decade or so has actually stuck and become a, it, a regular. It helps that he's had, like I say, multiple places where he's popped up. Because it was like, um, Beware the Bat, or Beware the Batman. I don't know which one it was. The It was the CG animated cartoon. Mm. It was probably mid-2013, 20, you know, 2014. It was like just after the cancellation of Young Justice. It was like that season of TV. And like in the first couple of episodes, I think it was Professor Pig was the was the villain because uh, they were going out of the way to kind of use like obscure things and kind of different mm. stuff. But like it was just it didn't wrong. The show didn't last very long. But straight up, it's a it's a Batman show. People saw it, and you threw that right at the start of the show. It, it's it's going to stick around a little bit. Yeah, no, it's just it's just nice. It's nice that uh, it feels like a proper member of the Rose Gallery who fits in quite nicely. Um, yeah. So. Neat. Um, my my tablet turned off for some reason. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, it wasn't yeah, even out of power. I was on like eighty five percent. 
it took a while to turn back on, but whatever. That's good. Uh, anyway. We had a, a little tangent there on Professor Pig, innit? <laughs> good job, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we see Mad Hatter, and it's basically what these characters are doing out in the real world. Um, uh, a couple that I'm not familiar with, like Double X. I, I don't know if I know what Double X is. Could be a, is that no, a new I'm character? I'm not familiar yeah. with Double X. Uh, I mean, could be just an obscure pull. Yeah, and you've got Phantom chasing Mad Hatter. And, but through all this, there's, there's a second narration thing that's happening throughout. And there's some other, there's some minor characters who definitely feel it new. There's the guy in the bandages who... Well, he's definitely new, given the, yeah. the point of his place in the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, was, that was clear later on. Uh, but it turns out this extra narration talking about all these characters is coming from the Ten-Eyed Man, uh, who is a really, really cool horror design. I, I love him. Uh, I, I just love horror. I love the, the lettering of his boxes as well. Like they're, they're not quite square boxes. They're a little bit wavy, but they've, they've got little like eyes just dotting off them. They're, they're mm-hmm. Not even like really obviously eyes. They're just like dots within a circle. But that once you know that's whose box it is, it makes sense of their eyes. Yeah, and he's he's talking to someone. I don't think we know exactly who this is yet at this point in the book. Uh, but he's saying how he needs teeth. <laughs> yeah, and how all 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 the eyes do a different thing. Yeah, and when we say he needs, we say he needs teeth. He's doing this because the, every all the villains seem to think the ghost of Amadeus Arkham is like around and that's who is demanding the teeth apparently uh so it kind of ends in this cliffhanger with a scene where he's being really creepy like sort of bending backwards looking at this guy and it's as the other characters are leaving arkham and they're walking through the halls the empty halls of arkham and they go past the, the bust of amadeus arkham and they're talking about you know the others believing there's a ghost of him around and they're all talking about him like that they're called to a crime scene and it's like Mad Hatter had a bunch of people with these his his hat tech on them, but he, fri- he electrocuted them all, so they're all burned and fried. So really ghastly crime scene. And then there's the one guy just still alive. And there's the one guy who wakes up, yeah, in pain. Uh, Understandably. <laughs> yeah. So all really good stuff. It's all really teasing. There's a tease with Mad Hatter as well, where someone's following him in the sewer, and he turns around. Uh, it says. You aren't him either. You are, oh God, or sorry, oh, it's good to see you. There is no place for me here, no tunnels in uh, Wonderland in Gotham tonight. Tell me, go home. Uh, Which, I'm like, who is he talking to? Like, Like, Given that the book has been teasing Amadeus Arkham and and home, you're like, well, is is he talking about the asylum? I mean, yeah, I mean, I was thinking the asylum, uh, but I'm actually just noticing here more so than I did the first time, the sort of glow that's on him from whoever's talking to him. Uh, and I don't think it is Dr. Phosphorus, but they did bring up Dr. Phosphorus earlier in this book, who does glow green. <laughs> he does, and we but we see Dr. Phosphorus. It's a very different type of glow in yeah. this art style. It's a very, like, phosphorescent glow, right? Yes. You know, it's it's like this borderline looks, neon, whereas this is... This is, a, this is a subtle green. This this could be, like, I don't necessarily think it is, but this could be a ghostly reflection of light. This is, you know. It definitely gives that impression that that's yes. what it wants us to think. But yes, Mad Hatter's not surprised by this. Um, but what's really nice is later on, because uh, uh, yeah, I think we go back to Dr. Joy for a bit first before we get this scene. Uh, but 
the the cop when he, he he hears about the other guy who had his jaw ripped out we actually find out that he had his jaw ripped out without the skin being broken like he That's, sort of did it seamlessly without kind of horrific any pain and then we actually get the visual because the, the sort of the big hook of the issue is that this dr joy when she goes home to her apartment the ten-eyed man is waiting there and she knows he was there and it's like she's like doing some off the book therapy and like try to keep him at bay uh, she's, she's there keeping him you know I, I can't keep you safe if you leave the apartment yeah but it's, of course like one part keeping him safe because that does seem to be something she cares about that's why she's doing this oh yeah and one part well if he's here he's not out there that said though this does come across as incredibly deluded and she is a fool and this is all going to blow up in her face I mean he's already ripped out a man's jaw for a start that's, for a ritual yes and offers it to, <laughs> to her it says, I need to do a ritual with this. Uh, what, what's the exact thing he says he's the ritual for? Uh, I don't think he does. He doesn't. To protect no, us. Just, no, pr- it- he says, to protect us from the ghost of Arkham. Oh, yes. But he said something. Uh, um, I mean, she goes along with it, seemingly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the final page is her helping him with the ritual. Yeah, and maybe she thinks this is good for him to act out to get out of his system. That maybe like saying no, this is meaningless would just anger him. Maybe it's like a therapy thing. It's possible, or maybe she believes it. Yeah, maybe she's just batshit herself. It's entirely, it's entirely possible. Well, that, that's the whole point of the conversation when they talk about you know, the the bust of Amadeus Arkham is you know some of the the inmates you know worship him because he he you know was committed himself and died as a patient, not as a doctor and. You know, she talks about you know, that, that fine line between the patients and the therapists, like Arkham or you know even you know Harley Quinn. You know, it, it's yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe she has crossed over that line as well. For all we know. Yeah. Uh. So, and all the other part of the ending is that the guy in the bandages from Arkham. Uh. Some guys well, realize that he is an Arkham inmate and they attack him. Uh. Well, no, that that's the horrific part. Is he wasn't an Arkham inmate. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Like yeah. that, that's not just he. He was a you know a, you know a war veteran. You know he had a PTSD. He heavily banished for that, but they assume he's an Arkham veteran because they know they're out there creeping around and they think he's one in disguise. And they the yell specifically. Uh, you think you can eat our children? Because uh, that was what the rat catcher was going yep. to do to at least well, at least two victims because they mentioned in that scene at the start that uh, like, he chickened out of eating the last. Yeah, one. he almost went through with it in the last one, but didn't. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's this idea that, like, I mean, it kind of, it actually neatly kind of plays into the idea of fear state as well. Even though this is going to last longer than fear state, as this this is going to continue because it's this is going to be monthly for six months when fear state is going to be over way before the end of this. But yeah, it does kind of neatly fit into like the the state of the city right now. Uh, this sort of hysteria that's that's going on. So, uh, no, it's it's new stuff. It's new stuff. Uh. I dug it a lot, actually. I think it's a really interesting story to tell in the world of Gotham, where you have a bunch of characters that you can use to sort of facilitate this story. Uh, obviously, you got some new ones as well, but the fact that you know Arkham's such a key part of of Gotham's like continuity, it has been for decades at this point. Yeah, in history, that even though it's not actually going to be set in Arkham a lot because it's not in use. Although, I mean, I'm suspecting we'll go back there at least a couple of times by the time the book's mm-hmm. done. Um, bringing up Amadeus Arkham. You know, I mentioned Arkham City earlier. You know, I, the first thing I think of when I hear Amadeus Arkham is that first Arkham Asylum game because it's mentioned, his name is mentioned so much 
when you're going around finding those damn, uh, you know, the headstones, the headstone things, are, yeah, yeah, and give you the audio recordings of whatever he once said. So, yeah, I uh, I dug this a lot, and the the art style definitely gives you that. Like it wants to kind of feel a little silence of the Lamsy, I guess, to to put it into a feeling. Sure, it's it's definitely the art that elevates. It. Like, don't get me wrong, I really like the writing. I like what it's doing. I think it's really fascinating and interesting. But the art just gives it a tone that makes it feel unique amongst all the other DC books I'm reading right now. Oh yeah, sure. Um... Right, there's there's nothing else like this out there right now from DC. No, it feels very different, and I think it's the sort of thing that it, it may get a bit of a cult following where the, the trade of this will become something that is highly recommended. Uh, assuming, you know, it's, it keeps this this quality up. and Yeah, the only thing that might go against it in the long run is just it being quite tied to continuity with the, you know, the, the stuff going on with post-A-Day Arkham, but it might not matter. We'll have to see what the story does. Yeah, I mean, if if all it is is using that as a jumping off point, I don't think it'll matter because it's just, it's just you know it's something that's established at the start. Is the Joker did a thing? It killed everyone in the building, uh, which set up the status quo and go. Yeah, hopefully. It says next time the the bloody order of Azrael, which I'm excited for. Yeah, I don't even know what's going to do with that. So <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's bring it in. Just throw it all. Just just do it. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, art art's great. The the muted colors, the the flat colors, the the inky feel of it. it you know, it, it definitely there's panels where it does feel a little bit long Halloween looking. There's panels where it feels a little bit. Uh, so oh, if, but, you, if you're talking about classic Batman, the colors harken back to something like Year One almost with those flat colors. Well, the cut the colors, yeah. Uh, maybe even a little Gotham centrally in places. You know, because it's dealing with. It's it's a bit it's a bit looser than Gotham Central. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely got a looser yeah. vibe to it, but uh, it definitely feels like it definitely feels like a book that is set in Gotham that isn't necessarily a Batman book. And we get these every stuff. Let's see, Gotham Central. There was a Gotham Go- by Midnight. Gotham by Midnight. Yeah. Where like yeah, definitively a Gotham book, but has its own unique identity, and and this one definitely does for sure. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to keep it up just on sheer art presence alone. Yeah. Uh, were you given Arkham City, the Order of the World, issue one? Uh, I'm going to give it like a, a nine. I think it would have been like an eight or an 8.5, but the art just bumps it up. I think I'm going to go with my third straight 8.5 on this one. Um, Very nice. Honestly, the biggest thing going against it is that I can never remember the title, uh, which maybe says that the title's not that... Uh, Memorable, or it's not clicking. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Oh, and Arkham Asylum, a serious house on a serious earth, really rolls off the tongue. Well, no, I mean, because you just call it Arkham Asylum, but that subtitle is very important, and it's what that subtitle is what makes it feel like a a book title, right? But you just call it Arkham. I feel like I don't want to just call this Arkham City though, because I say Arkham City and I think of the video game. Sure, sure. Right? Even though clearly thematically in the story, the idea that. I mean, yeah, the asylum's important, but all these inmates and all the people that are in Gotham... It's, it's who are, the Arkhamites out in the yeah. city. Uh, and the idea that there's many people in Gotham who probably should be in Arkham that have never been there, and like the idea of the madness spreading and all the rest of it. I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, but yeah, so maybe a better title would have been nice. But hey, on the grand scheme of things, it's not that, that big a complaint. Uh, so, 
There you go. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. The Nice House on the Lake, issue 5, James Tyne the 4th, Alvaro Martinez on the art, and things are heating up. This really felt like it was a propel the story forward moment, uh, where after three issues of individual character, I mean the first one kind of was, but the first one was about interesting as to everyone, so I'd say two through four were very much individual character stories that really focused on one character primarily. This one, I think, was all about finally the group of characters all coming together and really talking about what was going on in their world, which in their timeline's about a month, but I think it's like day 31 or 32. And Well, potentially. But potentially, yeah. Well, I assume they've been tallying things properly. Uh, no, I am. I, I meant the, the, there's just a little hint of the stuff with the stars that maybe time isn't quite what it seems. Relative to their experience, it's a month. Uh, I, I will... That's all I, I mean. Will, I will allow that statement. Yes, I, I, that's all I mean, is, is how long they have experienced uh, in time. Um, and I, I presume that if like days were longer or something, they would notice that fairly quickly. <laughs> Unless all of the watches and clocks were all designed to move slower so no one noticed. <laughs> it, it's not impossible. <laughs> uh, but it sets up, uh, so this is the scientist issue. Uh, which I only know because they eventually showed the symbols again and I was able to go back and check what this issue symbol was. Uh, that really needs to be at the start of every issue. There used to be a key page at the start, just with that. I, that... I'm still annoyed at them making that a variant cover on a reprint. Oh, it's, it's so annoying. Um, I actually Googled, because I really wanted to just know for the start who was who, like, character guide, and nothing came up. I'm like, oh my god, why is this so hard? You need, uh, the, you need the variant. Yeah, apparently. Uh, I just need to find that variant for... Was it issue one? I assume it was an issue one. Reprint, issue one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so there's some teases from like the later in the timeline again, with the house seemingly on fire, uh, with the scientists watching on and talking about... Uh, basically the history with Walter, how Walter got kind of weird because she became a part of the group that she wasn't in you know, originally... Um, started dating Nora uh, before Nora's transition and all, all that stuff. So kind of kind of hinting at some of the things we knew about. But we, then we come to the main story, and it's the characters discussing the big revelation from last issue, which was they can't die. If they do something to, to get injured, it heals. I, uh, though- I really like the touch of just how it transitioned us into that. Like, Because uh, we'd get the, the transcript page again, which reminds us, one, that the transcript page is still happening. Mm-hmm. Two, you get the, the the first half of that page is the scene of where we were at the end of the last issue. So it's like it's it's almost like having a recap where it just plays back the last part of that scene almost. So you go, oh yeah, that's where we were, and then it continues from that. I think, it, I think it's just a really smart technique. Yeah, and it overlaps a little bit when you go into the actual comic where the last couple of lines are you know we see them in panel again. Yeah. Uh, for context, um, but basically it's uh, the writer I believe who says. Look, if if I hadn't been patched up, because we've got a doctor here, right? And the doctor patched me up on day one. But if they hadn't done that, then we would have actually learned this rule right at the start. We'd have learned that our wounds will heal. Maybe we wouldn't have assumed that a slit throat would heal, but we would have learned the healing factor was a thing. So how many other things could we have learned if we'd been paying attention and we've just not noticed? So they agree to meet and go over things uh basically the next day 
Although there is a very important scene, though, with one of the characters going down... Uh, down to the woods. And... Yeah, to talk to Walter, basically. Uh, I don't understand, I'm, uh, you know, am I supposed to stop them from putting this stuff together? Or is this what you want? Walter, please, are you out there? Can you hear me? Um, interesting little moment. And obviously one of the other characters uh, witnesses this, overhears what he's saying. So definitely a thread to be pulled upon later. Um, it, it doesn't sound to me like he's complicit. It sounds like he's been given a role that he is, you know. It feels like he has a an extra task that the others don't know yeah. about. But, but then it, I'm wondering, do they all have a task that the others don't know about? But it doesn't sound like he understands it that much. It just kind of sounds like he's trying to do whatever he's been asked of him, but he doesn't really know what his goal know is. what he's been asked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then we actually get their, their whiteboard kind of page, which is just like a summary of all the, the rules and things we've learned, which is very convenient if you'd forgotten any of them, which was nice. Um, mm-hmm. I also kind of like some of the questions they wrote on this. Uh, you know, for example, like, was Walter ever just a normal human? How old is he? You know, has he always just been something else? Uh, stuff like that. I like the ultra-terrestrial. Just no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, flesh tornado is a fun phrase. Uh, so That it is. You know, why would he go to high school, college? Uh, they also, at some point in the issue, like, ask the question, like, he's probably at least partially responsible for what happened to everyone else. Like, you know, if, if he knew this was coming... And he picked all of us this way. Whatever's happened, he, you know, he at least knew about it. Possibly is yeah. responsible. And it's, it's the more this mystery goes on, the more fascinating it gets. Because we learned last issue about none of them remember how they got here. Not really. Yeah, yeah. It was all kind of a haze. Uh, and then you know they're assuming they're in Wisconsin, but then they, you know, as it points on this whiteboard, but there are mountains there, and then there are no mountains. So where are we? You know, where, where are we actually? Yeah. And then so interesting. They start revealing things they've discovered, and uh, a couple of the characters who found the guns, like the locker, and then the library, reveal this. And you know, understandably, it didn't like the idea of everyone who's on edge having access to assault rifles. As they, you know, one of them points out later when it when they're comparing the other guy keeping the the other place a secret, she's like, "Well, maybe it means make sense because I didn't want everyone to have assault rifles." And the fact that one of the Joker guys is kind of like. Oh, we should shoot each other since we can heal. <laughs> it's like take the gun away from them right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they probably made the right choice not telling everyone. Yeah, yeah, but there's explosives and stuff. But what's really neat about this is that so the character from issue three who found the the you know the other building said there's another house. And it's, it's the way that everyone looks at him when he says that. <laughs> the other house in the lake. It's like it's uh, the phrase "other house" specifically, yeah. not just there's a building or structure. It's house. Yeah. But then, but then he kind of clarifies. Well, I don't even know if it's a house. It may just be a sculpture. <laughs> it's like it's like you know, because it has a weird shape, and there was no entrance. So it's like you know, what is it exactly? So they're like, well, well, they argue for a bit. But then they're like, well, we should go out there. Like we have these explosives and stuff. Let's see if we can like try and make sense of it. Can we go back out there? So they do. It's whether on the boat actually that we get the uh, the anecdote about the the stars and how. They're not moving like they should be. They're kind of locked to the earth in a way that they shouldn't be. Which it implies to me that, let's say, you know, time's not passing. They, they don't quite get to that leap here, but they talk about how it should move with time and, you know, it's not quite still and we sh- you should be able to tell time from it. But they can't. It's like they're on just like the same day, perpetually. 
yeah it, I, either that or it's just fake like it's just not really the, the stars it's it's just, projection yeah. yeah it's just a static thing and it's, it's sort of a detail they never thought to fake because they didn't think anyone would notice that you know but unlucky for them someone actually knows it, their it seems it seems strange to not think that they'll notice because Walter obviously invited these people he knows that they were into well this... al- alternatively it is an intentional clue that they want them to notice is another yes that's more likely I would say given that uh, they actually mentioned that they, you know they told Walter about this in the past that they've had this conversation and Walter seems like he remembers all these things right yeah so more likely a clue so they get to the the building the guy's like super excited about trying the gun on the on the glass because uh, it feels like glass to, to say uh, the walls and the bullets do nothing and they're like well we'll go for the explosives then and they set explosives and it makes a crater in front of the building but the actual you know building itself is undamaged unfazed one might say but then someone notices that the symbols on each of these sculptures in this courtyard are all their symbols that they've been given so they decide to try something with that so they all put their fingers on this on their corresponding symbols it doesn't do anything until one of them suggests what if we like ask it something like what if we sort of like make a request and sure enough it opens a, a door in the house and we knew there was someone in there. You know, that was the big cliffhanger to the end of issue three was that Reg, who we've heard about quite a bit via multiple character flashbacks and, and stories, uh, is in there. And he's like, hey, I was hoping you guys would figure this out quicker. I've been in there since day one. Of course, I was invited. And it's it's this big mystery thing. It's like, well, clearly they were meant to like find him at some point and get him out. There's a lot of details to this that... he He knows a lot more than they do. Well, he knows something more than they do. I don't know how much more he knows, but he knows one thing more than they do, at least. I would say probably two things more than they do, because he, he knew that they were going to figure... They, he knew that they could open this, like that they could open it, which obviously they didn't even know that this was a thing. And then, obviously, the big cliffhanger. So I'd say he, maybe inside there he's had a bit more information than they have. Yeah, but why was he trapped in this thing? Why was he put in separately? Is it just because it's part of the game that's been played with them? It's part of the puzzle? Uh, whatever. But, yeah, so the ending. So the first time since issue one, we get the little character. This is the painter uh, as Reg. And he says there's still time to save the world. And that's the big cliffhanger, that they can still save things. Which probably leads into the we're still kind of stuck in the same day theory. Because... If time's not actually moving forward, if we're actually right before this crisis, whatever it is that's going to cause everything, maybe they do have time to actually save everything. Possibly. I think it's so interesting, because even I'm not convinced by that theory, even though I'm the one that brought it up. Yeah, I... It was just it was something that crossed my mind, but I'm not convinced by it, because there's still the stuff like the, uh, the, the, the prologue sequences of every issue that are clearly set in the future. Set in the future in their bubble. I mean, you know, they, they've been there for years, but doesn't mean that's the, true. Doesn't mean every time has moved on. I, I, I mean, what, what if this is? What, what? I mean, what if this obviously all appears dark and sinister, but the story is actually get you know twelve, thirteen people together who can figure out a way to save the world. Like that's what he was choosing all this time was people who might be able to save it. <laughs> I mean, that that's a. I mean, so maybe it's a stretch, but it's frustrating because part of it is 
yes, that makes a lot of sense. That you know, he's intentionally chosen a lot of smart people, right? Yeah, with different skills, uh, you know, different, you know, different elements. skills, but presumably complementary skills. But also, there is an element of he chose people he liked. We we know that because he was had he had that conversation. It was the last issue where it was he was struggling to choose. But if I let you in, do I have to open up more people? Because there's more people I like that I was expecting to. There's um, I think the one thing that I will definitely say is that it does feel like they're supposed to be solving things, even though they were told when they arrived that oh, just live here, just you know, enjoy the house, enjoy all the the, the free stuff forever. Uh, you'll get everything you ever need. But it does feel like all these clues, all of these things they're supposed to solve, it's almost like it's almost like a like a you know a, a psychological test of like not telling them they're supposed to do that, but the expectation. And the desire is for them to do that at a certain point. Yeah. And, Ultimately, maybe they'll be good enough people that they'll yeah. want to do that. And part and part of it is the, to see how long it takes them to make those choices, and the, or maybe part of it is that to succeed in whatever this test is, they have to get to the point where they make the choice to do it of their own free will, rather than being told, "Hey, here's a list of instructions. This is what you have to do." Could be, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on that, and there's a lot of different possibilities that it could still be that. I'm not settled on any one thing right now. No, no, it's it it very open. It's very, very open. Um, but it continues to get more intriguing, and I think I like this issue a lot because I love the idea of them finally saying, look, we have to actually try and figure this out. And it was simple problem solving. Like, the rest of them finding out about the second building is, like, okay, and we have these these weapons, we have these explosives, maybe we can do something with that. Um, turns out those were useless against it, but... It's that sort of problem solving. It's that sort of coming together and putting their heads together that I like. It leads to the question, if it wasn't for getting into this building, what are they there for? And they've already pointed out that they can't hurt each other, really. Right. But they've got to have a purpose, otherwise why give it to them? Yeah. I mean, it can cause pain. Like, I mean, it's, you know, they do feel the pain of yeah. these things. I mean, they ask the person who slit their throat at that, but... Um... He's very nonchalant about it all. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, who cares? Yeah, so... So, no, I mean, it's hard not to be excited. Now, this is not the issue before the break, I believe. I think there's one more. Uh, this was issue five. That sounds right. So, yeah. I mean, it's a 12-issue thing, right? So, I mean, I have to imagine. Yeah. Well, as it's 13 now that we have a 13th character, I mean... <laughs> I mean... A little surprise 13th issue. <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't... Uh, shock me. Does it say of 12 on the front? It may do, I don't know. I can't remember. If, they've, if, they've, if it says that, it doesn't. It just says book five. Like you know how ah, some of, some of the yes. DC's limited series will say issue X of X, whereas this is just book five. Maybe, maybe there is thirteen issues. Yeah, it's, it's been a secret. Very curious. Very curious. Uh, but yeah, there you go. That's uh, that's nice. Just a look. Very good. And obviously, we don't even mention the art, really. But I mean, obviously, it's still phenomenal. Yeah. It, you know, I think one of my favorite panels is them all sitting together on the boat because again, it's another sort of visual of them all being united on something which they've never really been since the start of this. It's on the the two page splash. It's just across yeah. the top. Yeah, it's, it's just a really nice visual. Um, but you know, moments like when they all look at the guy who found the house when he emits it, when he says, "Oh yeah, the second house in the lake." The way the the moment works so well because the art really gets across that they're all staring at him like, "Yeah, if you just it's, say." <laughs> it's beats like that which separate good comic artists, good interior artists from just good, you know, 
artists because it's not about just you know the, the making the splash making this look cool it's it's mm. about the actual storytelling and about you know the getting the right beat at the right moment and i think that's where uh martinez is, is really killing it on this yeah all right what are you rating my sister in the lake issue five yeah it's a nine from me yeah i agree on this one nine out of ten so cool there you go uh and that is the new books for this portion of the show um, I think for the sake of uh, neatness with this, rather than cutting in the other segment, uh, I think we'll just wrap up everything we're going to do recording. Um, we'll still do our best of stuff and all that. We'll just do that before. Uh, and I'll just do the, the outro with the other segment uh, at the end of that, rather than, rather than cutting back to our recording for just the the, the plugs and That'd stuff. Yeah. That'd oh, that's gonna be weird. You're gonna have a new book after the Patreon books. I know it's a bit odd. So, but, but hey, so it's a wonky episode. Okay, we have to record on a Tuesday. Things be wonky. I don't uh, like recording on a Tuesday. Not do I. I don't like it either. I, I thought feel right. I thought Wednesday was weird, but I'm you know oh, I miss Wednesday now. <laughs> oh God, I kill for a Wednesday. Um, but yes, Patreon books every month at Patreon.com/slash/MailFuzzTV. Uh, you can you can well you can support us. I mean, you can't do that. Uh, but I'm not doing the plugs right now. I'm in plug mode. Uh, you can, at one of the higher tiers, make myself or Connor read a book. And Connor's got two books to read for last month because he had to miss two episodes for, for work reasons. Uh, so he's catching up today, uh, starting with Harley Quinn issue seven. Get away. I will say, in my defense for missing two issues, one of them, a certain patron who will not be named, didn't give me the issue he wanted me to read in time for me to make it on my episode. So that, that had to get pushed. You know you are. Mm. Uh, but uh, what am I doing? Harley Quinn first? Aye, Harley Quinn. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's why I introduced it as Harley Quinn 7. Yeah, know, I wasn't listening. Yeah, I, I forgot which one you said. It's the, import, it's the only important part you need to hear, is me yeah. saying what book you're about to talk about. Yeah. Oh, that took a stab in there. I had a 50-50 chance. I got it right. It's fine. Mm. Yeah, Rosmo's back. <laughs> Don't need to say anything else. Rosmo's back. <laughs> um, and it's allegedly a Fear State tie-in. It's a uh, very tangential, I would say, is putting it mildly. It does say Fear State Part 1, so I'm assuming there's going to be a second Fear State tie-in that will maybe be a bit more heavily involved. Uh, this one, it just starts off with um, Keepsake again. He's building his own team of villains. He's handing out the... Uh, all the stuff that he stole that that was his origin stuff he, he stole from all the all the, the actual villains while he was a henchman and he's kind of been doing knockoff stuff so he's got his own squad together and he's given them new names so the person who he's given a bane mask to is blaine you've got a, a ventriloquist who is polyphonist you've got a riddler who is exclamation you've got our favorite professor pig is uh, Sage Swine. Uh, Mr. Freeze has got a counterpart. We've we've got a new Freeze villain. Oh dear. Add another one to the ranks. It's Fellow Frigid. And and then there's Sword Lady, because he forgot to give her a name. So it's Sword Lady. I don't know who the sword is. I don't know. She's got a sword. What more do you want? Katana? Not a villain, but... <laughs> no, it's of. not that sort of sword. It's like a broadsword. Oh, in that case... uh. 
it's closer to like Azriel, but like I don't know what uh, villain uh, uh, running know. around Gotham at the minute he could have stolen a sword from. What do you see? Yeah, what, what fictional women or women of myth and legend have big broadswords? I don't know. Do you know what it's like? It's like um the knight from from Demon Knights. The uh, I'm completely forgetting their name now, but the 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 Shining Knight, Shining Knight. It's like that. It's like that sword. So why not? But you know, it doesn't really matter. That they're, they're all kind of irrelevant. Hugo Strange comes just comes in and is like, "What? What are you doing? What is all this shit?" Uh, and th these are all people. It seems that he's mind controlling with his. Scarecrow, fear gas, amplified by maybe Mad Hat attack. It's it's a bit unclear still the exact plan, but it's mind control. It's just mind control. And that's all it is. Uh, Harley's out of Gotham. They're on a camping retreat. Her and the the ex clowns that they're, they're meditating, which she hates. Um, and then they run into someone who's lost their dog. So this uh, the dog's called Waffle, and there's a whole page long gag of. Probably about fifteen panels of about how this dog is called Waffle, and then she wants pancakes, and just imagining a dog with like a waffle in its back, and it's it's a whole extended joke that goes on for a long time. That's not very funny, but they they go looking for the dog, and Harley's a bit chit. Basically, Kevin has to talk her back into being a hero. You got to look for the dogs, and you know you got to do that stuff, not just do what you want. And they do find the dog, uh, a cave entrance. And then there's a bear that chases them. And they, they get chased for a bear for a while, and they, they run away. And uh, I'm just going to cut away to the, end, to the end of the issue. There's a little interlude, but the main point of this, where it finally ties into Fear State on this side of things, is she basically runs off a cliff when she's running away from the dog. It does like a, like a, a wily coyote-style thing where she you know, falls off almost and has the, the paws, and then she grabs onto a vine. Um, but who should show up but to save her but the uh, the gardener, who obviously we we last saw Catwoman that was teased in? That was maybe the next issue of Catwoman, I think. Uh, she's been a lot. Yeah, she's been, uh, been a couple of issues. Well, so she's, uh, been a, she's a Batman. She went down with... Catwoman, she's a Batman. And she, she had, yeah, she was in like the last page of the last Catwoman, I think. Yeah. So she's collecting people, so she's come to get Harley. Um because obviously they found Ivy, so Harley needs to come and help. Uh, there is a little bit of a cutaway into Gotham City itself. Hugo Strange is dressing up as Batman again, out during the Fear State stuff, and they're you know all the criminals are like, oh, we thought Batman was dead, and then they're like, hang on a second, you're not Batman, you're insane. And then, yeah, they're like, that, that, that's a lies, really. Just just Hugo, just he likes dressing up as Batman, I guess, still. But that's that's the whole issue. It's not very fear statey for a fear state tie-in, which I imagine has probably upset some people who picked this up just because it says fear state on the front. Because there are always those people, right? Who, if it's a tie-in, they will get it and don't do that, people. Ever, that's bad advice. But this is this is proof as to why you don't, because you get an issue like this, which is very much just the next issue in this run and. Basically, nothing to do with Fear State. Mm. Uh, Rosmo continues to be annoying and horrible, and has brought back that horrible thing I hated a few issues ago when I last had Rosmo with the the panels being slanted, 
but also the dialogue box is being slanted, so you have to, in my case, because I'm reading on a monitor, turn my whole head. I guess if you're reading on a tablet or a page, you could turn the page. But it's just annoying. I, I get the effect. It's supposed to be disoriented. It's like, in this case, it says Harley's hanging off the cliff. But I hate it. Stop it. Give me a bad neck. It makes me resent reading this book even more. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. It's about a 4 out of 10. It's the, it is the first Fear State tie-in that I can safely say, do not waste your money on. Right? Unless you're already reading this book, in which case, why do you need me to tell you? All right, in that case, Undiscovered Country, issue 13. It's rather a Patreon book. Yeah. Um, this was nice to get back into. Didn't realize that this had so much going on still. I, I thought it had taken a bit of a longer break than it did. Yeah, you also uh, dodged a bullet because it was very, very, very nearly Titans Academy. <laughs> uh, I saw. I saw. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Uh... I've got like five issues of uh, Undiscovered Country to read, I think. Or I will have by the time this arc finishes. Oh, lucky you. Uh, don't know yeah. what David's making you read next, though, so brace yourself. Might be, you might find something nasty. Wait, do I know what he's making me read for October? I don't think you do yet, no. Because he was going to make you also read Titans Academy so you'd catch up, but, but, since, but since Tyler abandoned that plan, I don't That'd know be what so he's... so far behind. Yeah, because yeah. he, he made me catch up on Harley last month. Yeah. He made me do the annual. But I don't know what his plan is going to be now, but I'm sure it'll be something... Nasty. Yeah. I don't think he likes me very much. Yes. Well, not to worry. Yeah. Uh, Undiscovered Country. It was nice to come back to this. There was uh, definitely, uh, like, threw me in the deep end a little bit. The uh, No pun intended, because they're on a ship. I forgot about that. I uh, know they were on a ship, though, so I didn't get that it was maybe a pun accidental or otherwise. That, that's fair. Um... This is something where, in the trade, because obviously if you're reading this in trade, this is where you're jumping in. Uh, presumably after... If, if you if you read Volume 2 when it came out, and then you picked up Volume 3 when that comes out, there'll be a, you know, a good handful of months between those. I'm assuming that the trade will have little recap pages. They tend to throw them in the trade at the start, just, just to kind of, you know, quick story so far. A lot of image trades do that now. Uh, but this is, um, I don't know if it'll be the, the whole uh, arc that'll follow Val, but this is at least her issue, and it seems like she's going to have at least another issue after this. And the new realm that they're in, the new zone, is creativity, uh, possibility, not creativity, sorry. It is the, the zone of possibility, and it is the, the, the zone designed to where all the creatives spent their time so that when the bubble finally came out, came off of America and they, you know, they returned to the world, they had all these new cultural exports to bring back to the world. Uh, and as they put it in another way later, it's soft power. The idea of the world has been Americanized in the last, you know, hundred years or so, you know, give or take in, in our time, not in, not in this book, you know, right now, the world has been roughly Americanized in the last hundred years, thanks to things like Hollywood and, you know, the, the TV industry has kind of spread across the world and been yes. the, the dominant force. La Big Mac. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. But... Hey, that may sound stupid, but there was actually a layer joke there with that, so I will take the credit I am so deserved. Thank you, audience. Big Mac have layers. 
the Big Mac does have it. Oh no, see, see, the joke is, is that McDonald's spread to France, and then it became a joke in Pulp Fiction that they. Nah, I got it. Uh, but... You know, a Big Mac's a Big Mac because a Big Mac. So the the joke is that it's proving the world has become Americanized because France has got Big Macs. See, so there was a. So I was proving the thing by saying something in the French way, which is ironic because it's an American thing in the first place, so therefore I'm proving the point. It's genius, right? It's levels of genius. I think if you had dove back into that with Big Macs have layers just like onions, just like ogres, you'd have had a whole new level of cultural export added on top. And I don't reference uh, Shrek. I do not reference that uh, Scottish... Uh, that fake Scottish charlatan that is Mike Myers. Uh, Why not? Never loved Shrek. Uh, Shrek is overrated. You just need to rewatch it. It's overrated. I stand by Shrek it. Shrek 2 is better, don't get me wrong. It's overrated. And uh, how many of the Shreks have you seen? I've seen the first two. And Mike Myers should answer for his crimes against the Scottish people. You were going to go bold and say humanity, but okay, just the Scots. Maybe I mean, yeah, I mean, that. I mean, he did make the love guru, so he has he has offended everyone <laughs> at some point. But yeah, yeah she definitely answer for that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that okay. is. In a way, I have summed up the essence of this arc <laughs> uh, with with all that nonsense, because that is what this is about, and their mission to get to the next zone is they have to create the next great uh, American story? No, there's a specific word. It's not, it's not American fiction. An American masterpiece. Because it doesn't have to be a fiction, but the, you know, they talk about how, you know, th- th- there are cultural American fictions, like how they won, you know, World War II by themselves, essentially. You know, that's, that's the example that this one brings up. But the, there are a lot of things I think we could all bring up but the idea is they've got to create something on that level, something that permeates society. You know, they go, it's got to be on the level of Wizard of Oz or Star Wars, something that innovative, that Chopping level all. of impact. Chopping Wall, obviously, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right up there with those. That is the, the third of the Sacred Trinities of movies. Wizard of Oz, Star Wars, Chopping Wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they're all iconic in their own way. Which I think I said that unironically. Yeah, nice. yeah, I did. I mean, I could swap out the other two, but Chopping Mall is definitely one of them. <laughs> I'd love to hear what your three iconic American movies are in that sense. <laughs> Chopping Mall. Yeah. Uh, probably one of David Lynch's YouTube videos where he just tells you the weather uh, in LA that morning. <laughs> That's sure, another one. Yeah. That was a good one. And, then, and the third one is... <laughs> I feel like you want to say Rob Zombie's Halloween. I definitely do not, <laughs> under any circumstance. What is just the vibe I'm getting from you right what, now. What is say that? No, 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 no. I definitely under no circumstance. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm misreading it. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. No, no. Um, But... There's a gap in the market though, because there's a, there's there's not enough uh, not enough uh, what 
I, I need uh, <laughs> because I feel like if there was a movie right now for the punchline sake that I could bring up, which had a title of something like the killing of a ginger, then I like I would, but there isn't. So there's a gap in the market, and I feel like that's that's what needs to be fulfilled now at this point. I feel like th- th- that film exists; it just has a more subtle title. The beheading of a ginger. <laughs> oh, yeah, that counts as subtle. Uh, the killing of a evil soulless beast creature. See, now that you could sell as a horror movie. Hmm. Yes. Uh, rewatched the, the 1984 Dune. Speaking of David Lynch, rewatched the 1984 Dune, and I've forgotten that all the villains were ginger in that movie, and it was, it was cracking me up again. Yeah. Yeah, I watched the uh, Children of the Corn movie, and there's a very ginger kid in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, the long hair? I don't, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. Very ginger, very evil. Well, medium evil, but mm. probably not as evil as the the, the, the Dune villains, admittedly. But oh. you know, point stands. Yeah, yeah. We've been typecast. Don't appreciate it. We're not all villains, just most of us. Yeah, and I'm not mate freaking Myers. So boohoo. You sure? You sound an awful lot like him. <laughs> That's all. <Yeah. laughs> At least I have an accent. People watch our videos and think you're just another Scottish guy. It's true. I get it wherever I am. People who people think I'm just from wherever. I'm like wherever I'm with. Because I don't, I don't live where I grew up. People around here just think I grew up around here because I sound the same as everyone else here now. I don't think this is foolproof. Though. I I think if you move to Jamaica, they'd probably know us. Give me six months to Jamaica. I mean, I wouldn't survive six months in that heat. But <laughs> give me six months around Jamaican people, and well, we'll see. Six months in Jamaica for you is a sentence for a crime. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Especially if you do the summer months. That's just cruel. <laughs> oh, you spend July in Jamaica with no air conditioning. You're going to be outdoors every day. I'd literally kill myself. I don't think I'd need to. I'd be dead by the end of like a week. <laughs> All right, first talking about this comic, go on. <laughs> yes, yes, I will. Um... So they're out on the boat because they're on a little, it's like a, I think like a pirate ship style boat, but it has no guns. They're just very fast apparently because they get, they get attacked by a film noir gangster pirate. It's like black and white. They, they are noir gangsters. They're just committing piracy. They're not dressed as pirates. They're not talking like pirates, but they are committing the act of piracy but they're still talking like noir mobsters and they've got all like you know like pulling out the tommy guns and stuff and shooting on the ship and they've got big cannons uh and there's some fun action stuff here uh where where like you know that chase that goes on and um ultimately they manage to you know right they, they can't shoot back but they can speed up the ship and then they lose control of the ship and essentially just ram straight through the the noir ship and uh, Val goes overboard, and she washes up on a beach. And just to explain where she washes up, we'd have to go back to the very start of the issue, which is a brief flashback, which is her past, you know, as a child uh, out in the world. And it's kind of when stuff was going down. She, you know, she obviously grew up rich. She, you can tell that because she's floating in a pool. It's one of those infinity pools that are just up on the balcony of like a skyscraper. 
uh, and then like she, she's uh, daydreaming about you know Captain Flag, clearly some like comic book superhero who, who they've got in this world. And we see you know a few glimpses of them at the start while these riots are going on. She's just like you know watching her her films with these characters starring. It, it, it's literally what you're imagining. He's it, in, in a blue spandex outfit, white tie, wears a cape with a flag on. And he has an eagle sidekick. It, it, it's that. Uh, there is a really nice mirroring of when it goes from that to the present day of them in the in the zone um, on the pirate ship, and you've got Uncle Sam with the, the parrot on his shoulder in the same place that the eagle was on Captain Flag. Uh, it is a really just a nice transition from the art. Uh, but where she washes up at the end, she washes up on this island, and it's Captain Flag and a bunch of other old and decrepit heroes here to save the day. Uh, as as he says, um, and that's what we're getting. You know, because we learn in this issue that every every great American cultural export that's ever created lives in this realm. It exists in some form. That's why we have the noir pir- uh, pirates, and now we have these superheroes here, uh, and that's presumably where we're going to spend some of the next issue. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what we do with this. It's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, it, very much the first issue of an arc where it is just kind of right this is the rules of this place this is what we're going to play with in terms of the um the commentary of what we're doing it's you know the soft power the, the cultural exports and then here's the kind of zany cliffhanger which i'm all in for um it's a really solid issue a lot of fun so it's, it's a good solid eight oh my my that was fascinating stuff Shut up, Shrek. Shut up, donkey. You do have some donkey qualities now that you bring it up. No, uh, I didn't bring it up. You just brought it up. You have some donkey qualities. Mm, well, I feel like I need to rewind this conversation about 10 minutes. Ginger, ginger donkey. Oh, it's terrifying. Is there such a thing as a ginger donkey? I don't think there is. <laughs> Google is your friend. Although I'm not sure I'd feel safe Googling it. <laughs> Some sort of weird fetish that no one wants to know about. Uh, yeah. uh, Alright. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll go to the, the best stuff of the week. And obviously, uh, you know, this is excluding uh, the Wonder Woman special, which will be reviewed after this in a separate segment. Uh, so this is not the end of the show. I'll just remind everyone that right now before you all go rushing away. Uh, but uh, we will do our picks of the week. So uh, we'll start with panel slash moment out of the books we did read. Um, you know what? I'm going to go first. <laughs> That's fine. I'm I think. Still well, there's a few things I could pick from. Uh, I, I think ultimately it's going to have to be between uh, Swamp Thing and Nice House and the Lake, but I think I'm going with Nice House, and I think it is just going to be when the guy mentions the second house and they all just look at him. It's just such a good moment because it just means so much. It's like all these things are coming together and it just kind of, it just, there's excitement in the storytelling because the storytelling is so strong and it's based upon everything that the story, the book's done up until this point that I cared about that, that reaction. So, uh, yeah. What's your pick? That's fair. I'm, I'm going to go with something from, uh, Arkham City. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with that panel of, uh, Professor Pig bathed in the, in the, Deep, deep red. 
it just it's so striking stands out it's just a visual feast and it, it sums up just the eye in that book i just loved it okay uh um, best cover um it's actually a really hard week I, i've got a few that are so so the regular nexus in the late cover which is uh the scientist standing at a telescope and there's like uh shooting stars in the background really pretty stuff uh the matina variant for swamp thing because the Matina cover looks gorgeous. Uh, and I actually think the main cover for Arkham City is great. Uh, but so is the variant, actually. Uh, there's a... Another Matina one. Is that another, I mean, yeah, I think it is, actually. Um, I think if I'm pushed to pick, I'm going to actually go with the main Arkham City cover. Partially because of the homage to Serious House and the Serious Earth, but also because I, I love the actual image of the... It's, it's the city... Uh, the red bat logo, but then you've got like the the Arkham villains under the bridge, like you know, in the in the shadows of the city. Uh, it's just a really nice composition, but it also fits into that like what it's kind of homaging at the same time. Uh, it's a neat touch. So I'm picking that. Yeah, I'm going with the same cover. Um, like I say, I, I like the the red bat logo with the the villains underneath also being in red, and then just against the the pale blues of the of the city. And there's always Contrast. been a comparison, you know, does Batman belong in there with the inmates, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And that was even a theme in the original Arkham Asylum, Serious House and Serious yeah. Earth. It's, so. just, it's a nice little link in the colour, just on that cover. And yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan. Neat touch, neat touch. Uh, all right, so best art of the week, you can go first. Mm, yeah, I'm also going with Arkham City on this one as well. But, I mean, it's a good week for art. I mean, all, all four books. Mm, yeah, I think I have... Know, I have to go with Martinez, I think, still on the That's art. Fair. Uh, honestly, if if you'd picked any of them, I don't think I'd like there are some weeks where sometimes someone will pick an art and I'll be like, Really? That one? But you could have said any of them this time. You say someone, it's always Matt. Just the mess. It's it's, it's usually Matt, let's be honest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is usually Matt and his strange tastes. Uh, it's funny. When Matt's not here, I'll make fun of Matt. When you're not here, I'll make fun of you. I mean I make fun of you when you're here as say, well. You do that when I'm here as well. But it's a different genre of making fun, though. It is. It it's a different is. genre. Uh, so, yeah, that's cool. Uh, all right, rank your books, then. Arkham City, Nice House, Swamp Thing, Batman. But, I mean, still a very strong week for, for only having, like, four books. Yeah, I think I have to go Nice House at number one. This is hard. <laughs> Yeah. I I rated the first three of the books the same number, so it's, it's actually you gotta decide between them now. I, I I've got no uh, obvious things to go to. Uh, number two, I think I'll probably say Arkham City. Number three, Swamp Thing. Number four, Batman. But I mean, there's not a lot in those three for me. So good week. I mean, it's only four books, but it was a good four books. Like I, I I'm not mad at anything I read. Uh, I, I will mention I did try Soul Plumber. I read about three or four pages and realized it was not for me and that I didn't, I wanted nothing less than to read the rest of that issue. So I tried it. It's not a review. I can't review it. I only read like four or five pages, but it was enough to know I didn't want to. <laughs> so, you know, take that for what it's worth. It was very wordy. Was yeah, you read more than me. I didn't, I didn't have time because I, today I had to read those four books, my two Patreon books, I had to read the last issues of Nice House and Swamp Things. I hadn't done those yet because I missed that week. 
And then I also had to read Batman from last week, or Detective from Detective, last week, yeah. because of Fear State. Well, you know, I didn't read more than what I talked about, but uh, I did have to watch all two and a half hours of Army of the Dead. So Yes, look, I know you're very bitter about that. I, I am be bitter. I'm, I'm very bitter. I'm bitter for... watching so much else. A number of reasons. I could have watched two horror movies in that time, practically. Um, but yes, yeah, so that, that was... Uh, and I had to do record stuff and whatnot. But anyway... Uh, so there you go. Uh, that so that wraps up this first segment of the show. There is going to be a bonus segment after this, uh, before the outro, uh, reviewing the Wonder Woman hundred page spectacular. Uh, are you with... doing what's coming next week then, or are you doing that now? Oh, I'll do that now. Yeah, I suppose I'll do that now. Good, good, good idea. Good <laughs> idea. Just in case you forget when you come to do it yeah, later. Yeah, that's, that's better here. Uh, so coming next week. Uh, speaking of Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman seven eighty. Uh, sounds like Diana's back from whatever she's been. Uh, so that's happening. Uh, we got the Joker issue 8. Strange Adventures issue 12, after being delayed two weeks, is finally uh, hidden. Uh, so that's neat. And then we got Batman Urban Legends issue 8, which is a Fear State but, uh, tie-in issue. Or at least a couple of the stories are. Maybe not all four, but some of them are. Uh, I'm assuming it'll be all of them. Batman 89 issue 3. Teen Titans Academy issue 7, Superman and the Authority issue 4, I Am Batman issue 2, Future State Gotham issue 6, Green Lantern issue 7, because it got pushed a week this month. Uh, well, I, mean, I don't know if it got delayed necessarily, but uh, even if it was solicited, I mean it's delayed in the sense that it used to be on week 1. Maybe it was always solicited for week 2, I don't know. Uh, Justice League Last Ride issue 6, Harley Quinn the Animated Series Eat Bang Kill Tour issue 2, Batman the Imposter issue 1, oh I think this is meant to be, this was something we, we like the sound of. Uh, this was the kind of Sorrent- pseudo real world one, uh, Sorrentino. Is, yeah, this is a Sorrentino one. Yeah, definitely trying that. Uh, just just putting that out there. Uh, it's a Sorrentino book. I'm I'm interested. Yeah, Titans United issue two, Challenge of the Super Sons issue seven, Black Manta issue two. Uh, Black Manta's chances are probably quite slim given uh, the number of books that I've already read. It. I wasn't the first issue. I never got around to it. It was alright. Like, it, it was kind of... It, it wasn't like a... There were some nice moments in it, but it did feel like a... It, I don't know if it grabbed me enough. I, li- I liked it more than the uh, the first Aquaman the Becoming issue. Okay. Which was which was a bit more like... Oh, this just feels like a... Uh, like an issue in the middle of like an Abnet run, which is not bad, but, it, you know, to catch your attention as an yeah. issue one, it wasn't that, you know, big. Uh, and then also, Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries issue 7, Pennyworth issue 3, and Wonder Woman The Adventures of Young Diana special issue 1. Now it looks like it's more of that... Uh... It's just collecting all of those backups into one one shot. Oh, is it? Oh, is that... so I was going to say it looks like that backup, so yeah, fair enough. It, it is exactly those backups. Uh, oh. So if, if you have kids that are interested in, you know, in, in Wonder Woman, young kids, it's well worth picking up. I think it, it would definitely appeal to them. It's It's oh. pretty good for that audience so you know, i'm glad they put it as its own thing instead of just in the backups of another book that those kids are not reading yeah 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 uh so that's what's coming uh next week uh so look forward to that and it should be a matt and connor episode next week so uh, it'll go to plan yeah you yeah, know look forward to that too uh oh no it won't be actually well not no it won't be actually i don't think you'll be on next week's episode well maybe you no nah, you won't 
Why not? Because we already moved the recording to a day that's not Saturday. <laughs> oh, th- thanks for checking in with me, guys. <laughs> well, this was way in advance, and we, we uh, Matt, Matt said, can we do this day? And I said, sure. Well, why does Matt get priority for that? Because he asked. He was there. He was scheduled. bullshit. You, you, every week, come on and say, hey, I can't make it next week, or whatever. We have to plan in the eventuality that you won't be there. It's bullshit. <laughs> Do not approve. Been uh, robbed I'm sorry. In strange adventure. I'm sorry. I, it just occurred to me there. We'd already moved the recording. You're just going <laughs> to. We're going to yell at Matt now. It's it's it's, it's 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 a Friday recording. I'm sorry, Carl. I'm going to go yell at Matt. Where's my, where's, where's my Matt chat? There it is. Um, but yes. Uh, so I will now transition to your second portion of the show uh, with special guest, but minus the, the, the special parts, you know. It's okay. Random guest. Yeah. And welcome to the later segment of this very weird episode of Comics from the Multiverse. Um, I'm just going to get it out of the way. This is actually take two. We recorded the vast majority of this segment, and then my yes computer decided to break down in a panic attack, and we lost everything i'm a problem hello nice to meet you <laughs> david david is here david's a hi long time uh supporter patron and even does a new 52 show called the not so new 52 on the youtube channel and has its own audio feed that you can check out uh and he's also the one that made connor read redhood for about five years so uh it's my real claim to fame yes uh so he is you know graciously stepping in to fill in for the fact that we had to record the episode on Tuesday this week, and we didn't have time to get that Wonder Woman special in, and I thought, oh no, we should definitely do that in some capacity, so I invited them on. Uh, so yeah, we recorded this most of this last night, and because of David's weird setup, which has actually been changed since to, you know, squash any potential problems, we actually, he was recording his side of it himself, and I wasn't recording his side. I'll find a way to break this. I'll find a way to break this one. You just wait. So when things messed up, all of his side of the conversation got lost. So mm-hmm. uh, we're here to do take two. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because sometimes when you redo a conversation you've already had, it's a little bit more bullet pointy. It's a little bit less natural. There's not really much we could do about that, but I promised that we would talk about this. So we're going to talk about it and we'll see how it goes. Uh, so this is the Wonder Woman 8th anniversary, 100 page, super spectacular. Um mix of creators I'll read, I'll read the stories in a second from the contents page but uh you know i i i i felt weird about when this one was announced because the 80th anniversary spectaculars basically only existed to give an excuse to do this treatment with other characters who didn't have a milestone issue coming up because you know this started with the 1000th action and detective and then did flash and wonder woman 750 and they went oh we had a reason to do this with other characters oh wait a minute there's anniversaries coming up we have because so many characters were created in like 1940 and 1941 would you believe it 2020 and 2021 was was just prime for the 80th anniversary pickings yeah uh so that we got a lot of that so when wonder woman is notable here because she's the first one to get both and that she got the special milestone issue and then they did this again for her the 80th anniversary which is now i fine, i recall I they did a Green Lantern 80th, right? Yes. So they're just going off the character, because that would have been Alan Scott. That wasn't... Oh, of course, yeah, obviously. 
So I guess Flash would be the next up with whenever Jay Garrick came around. You would think. I don't know when Jay Garrick uh, was created. Yeah. Unless they already missed it. Maybe he was earlier. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, the Mr. Boat. <laughs> it's possible. They did pass up, though, because I was really expecting a Supergirl one for a 60th, because uh, that was also last yeah. year, and then they just kind of ignored it. It was weird. I wasn't... Wasn't that a thing that someone in editorial, someone up top in creative, said in to somebody? Again, oh, that's right. Yeah, no, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Sterling Gates. Like, she's got a show, yeah. so who needs it? Yeah, so it's not like I mean, freaking Alfred's getting 80th anniversary specials. <laughs> did he? Well, maybe he, maybe he didn't get one. But Catwoman and Joker did. definitely did. I was gonna say they're, they're, there's the villains one coming out. I think this month. Oh yeah, that that, that 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 one's cash grabby as shit. Oh yeah, like. It's like obviously, yeah, the first couple of villains came out like or originated in nineteen forty one, but some of them are just random. Like I think like Bane's in there. Like he's yeah. from the eighties. <laughs> what is this? So very weird. It's like we're celebrating the anniversary of just the start of us having villains. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like that's a celebrating all villains. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, that is just cash grabby. There's no. I'm sure they could point to one specific villain and be like, no, that person, 80 years ago, got their big break. But otherwise, it's it's just a total cash grab. So yeah, every time I, every time I come out on one of these, I'm always like, oh, maybe we should stop bothering with these. Like, the, 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 <laughs> And it's not that there's not good stories in this one, because there is. But mm-hmm. I, I always have this weird deflated feeling afterwards, where I'm like, I feel like, yeah, you know, this was $10 or whatever, and... Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like a lot of them don't feel that worthwhile reading. Of course, there's usually one or two that are related to the ongoing stories, so it feels like you you not have to, but right. you feel compelled to as a comic book reader. Uh, yeah. So trust me, I know about the completionist tendencies. I get that. Yes, yeah, so if you're watching the video version, you can see the stacks of new fifty two trades peeking into the frame. It's like my whole arm length here. And that's not even all of them, right? That's just... Oh, this is like a fifth of them, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Too much. I have a problem. Crazy yeah. man. Uh, okay. <laughs> but yes, uh, so let's go through the stories. I will say there's yeah. a couple of surprises in here for me. There was a couple that I was expecting to like more, uh, and then a couple that I was expecting to not like at all that I actually kind of liked, so... Yeah, yeah. same here. But both ways. I- uh, the stories are as follows. We got In Memoriam, which is Michael W. Conrad and Becky Cloning writing. So that's the current writing team on the main book. Uh, and Jim Chung on art. We got Dreamers by Jordi Billy writing. Paulina Gancho, uh, or Ganucho, sorry. I'm mispronouncing Gancho. that. Uh, uh, Fresh Catch by Amy Reader, who's doing both writing and art on that. Uh, we got Dear Diana by Mark Wade and Jose Luis Casilla mm-hmm. Lopez on the art. We got mm-hmm. Dated by Tom King with Doc Shainer. We got Better Angels with Vita Ilea with and Isaac Goodhart on the art. We got Saturn Rising with Steve Orlando and Laura Braga. Immortal Mysteries by Stephanie Phillips and Marcio Takara. And then finally a low orbit by G. Willow Wilson and art by Megan Hetrick. Uh, which yeah. it's interesting because usually they end with the current writing team the on these to put that that story at the end. And they didn't in this one. Do they? I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest, I don't usually read a lot of these. <laughs> a lot of them have. a lot Because it tends to be the, the final one will have the thing that actually says, and this is going to be continued, and that's, right, they that's do. usually at the end. So I feel like most times, though, they like sync these up with a... Well, okay, so with like Batman, those are the ones I have read. There's always whoever's doing like Batman, and then whoever's doing Detective each get a story. So maybe that's what I'm... 
considering. And in terms of other things, I don't know. Uh, Green Lantern, maybe it's an entirely different subject, but for Batman, at least, I know that they have multiple creators. Pete, I can only fill so much time. I'm new to the show. Look, cats, cats be cats, okay? <laughs> cats be cats, and you gotta deal with them. And I have, to, I have to do it twice, because Firefly's weird in that he will hide when I go to open the door, but so you have to leave him with the door ajar for him to leave, and then you have to go back over and close it. It's a whole, whole process. Uh, so, uh, we'll get into these. Um, yes, so the first one. first one is a story set in continuity where Steve and Etta uh, are the main characters, and they're basically trying to mourn Diana still. Uh, this is Steve showing Etta a documentary he has made, a la mm-hmm. Ben from Parts of the Rec, when he did his uh, claymation, uh, where he whips out a laptop after they're cleaning up after a, a night with his friends or something, mm-hmm. and he shows her this documentary he's made, which is the, the main bulk of the of the story. Um, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised by this, mostly. There's a couple of weird things uh, in terms of, like, I don't know if I get the feeling like i mean I, again i i gave up the main book because i didn't like all the weird fantasy shit where wonder woman was in valhalla or whatever right. but um you know I, I don't know i didn't really get the impression from other books that there was this kind of mourning that everyone kind of really felt down it was dead but here it's like oh no one day she was gone and now she's dead and like okay that's a bit vague but uh yeah so 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 that general feeling kind of feeling like out of the blue in this this story uh yeah, you know, it was a little bit jarring, but honestly, it's a kind of a nice summation of who Wonder Woman is. It's all kind of through Steve's eyes, and he goes through various like avenues, you know, through various lenses. He looks at her as a diplomat. He looks at her uh, as a soldier, uh, but how she was a soldier who would never compromise. He looks at her as a superhero who would do things, but even when people wouldn't notice it was her, like when she's catching the plane in one of the scenes. So it's kind of this nice range of like all the things she does, who she is through his eyes and um, what did you think of the the main bulk of the thing i mean yeah i i definitely enjoyed the main bulk of it like you said it because it's the general summation of everything she is because up just for a lot of these stories later on they tend to focus on like one aspect of her maybe it's her truth maybe it's her goddess stuff like whatever it is but for this it's just a more general sweeping notion of her and i like it i definitely do it feels like a good uh breakdown of the character in general it's, I, think, I, I think the funny thing about it, though, is that it's almost so all-encompassing that it doesn't really feel like we need the rest of the issue. The, the, the special could have just been yeah. this. <laughs> and it would have worked. Yeah, uh, that that's definitely... Because it also goes... I mean, not so much like through the ages sort of thing. There's one page on here where it shows, like... And then she lost her powers, and she left the Justice League, and she did some other stuff. Like She was a spy for a bit. Spies. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh, it doesn't really so much do the history of the character as much as so like, okay, here's just how you feel about Wonder Woman. Here's the general thing, which is, I mean, if I really had to boil it down to just one or two things, it's uncompromising, but fair. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty much the gist of what we get here. Like she's the whole battlefield scene is unwilling to waver on her moral. She always found a way to save everybody. Um, the UN scene where she's standing for the UN is basically like, you guys committed war crimes and I'm about to, I'm about to drop the hammer on that. And she has an interview with Lois Lane and that's basically just her saying how I don't, I don't think about what I'm going to say. That's why I'm such a good speaker. I just say the truth and that's 
what makes it good. Yeah, so, I, I, I like that sentiment. Yeah, that was, that was a nice beat. And you know, there's, there's the page where it's like the other Justice League members being interviewed and being asked about her. Yeah. And in particular, the Booster Gold couple of pals is quite funny because the, the chat <laughs> show host is just wanting to know about her and almost at the expense of Booster Gold where he belittles yeah. him as much as he there's can. There's Animal Man, Shazam, and Superman who are all saying, Wonder Woman saved our lives. She's, she's incredible. She's a treasure to us all. And then the Booster Gold segment is like, I mean, we don't have to talk about Wonder Woman. We can talk about me too. I'm please. great. I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm only a little shorter. Come on, guys. Uh, yeah, all this is all fine. Um, and I did kind of get a chuckle at the end. Uh, so when we come back and there's a couple right. of epilogue things here. As you know, Ed is leaving. They have kind of a heart to heart, and uh, you know, all, all of that's fine. Uh, there's a, a funny little moment though where Ed is like, "You haven't shown this to uh, you know," and he's like, "Oh no, of course," and she's like. Because no woman, like, that, that she'll never feel like she can live up to this if you show this. And I'm like, right. okay, so we're learning that Steve's got someone in his life now. And it does point out that they did break up as a couple a while before Diana died. Which, Wonder Woman and... And Steve. Him. Yeah. Yes. Because it would be weird if, uh, like, they were still together when she died and he's already kind of, like, in a relationship. Um, you say that, but do we have any... Did they ever say how long it's actually been that she's been dead? No, I guess not. But I mean, I don't really feel like that much time has passed, has it? I mean, I'm I'm looking for any point where he says how long he's been working on this, because that would be the only yeah clue as to what it is. But it feels like but weeks no. to me rather than yeah. Than but at the same longer, time, but... at the same time, yes, he he's managed to. If he, you assume that he only started making this when she died, then this could be significantly longer than that, even. Assuming that it's actually well put together and not just literal clips thrown together. Um, yeah, I, depends on what it's time yet. I, it has to it's, it's entirely <laughs> nitpicky. I get that, but it's 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 just something where and going back to what you said earlier, it's one of those things where there wasn't the feel that the DC universe as a whole has been mourning Wonder Woman. Maybe yeah. it was because like the method of which she died, which was death metal, aka hurling galaxies at an evil Batman who gained the powers of a god. Yeah, it's was, it was kind of, like, weird and not something the public get to see. And, like, you assume that, like, I guess the Justice League just kind of announced, oh, by the way, Wonder Woman died. Yeah. <laughs> like, shut up. She's not going to be around, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's a little bit odd, but... Uh, uh, but it's but okay, because the team now features her mother. <laughs> but the end of the story is, uh, of course, Steve... Uh, you know, sun's rising, which obviously is the sign of hope and all that. Uh, right. the light is rising again. But there's a, a message in his phone next to a text message from whoever his girlfriend is saying, "Uh, that's you know, not a text message. That's three missed calls from his." Oh, girlfriend. sorry. He's in trouble. Three missed calls from his girlfriend. But there's a, a news alert saying that there's multiple Wonder Woman sightings. So there's kind of rumors of her appearing, which goes back mm -hmm. to earlier in the book, which was her doing things and no one even noticing, like, and her not sticking around for the attention or the glory or. You know, to, to confirm it was her, she just did things, and sometimes people wouldn't even realize until later when people caught it on their phones or something. And yeah, so it's obviously it's teasing that she is she's now back, she's now coming back, and that's going to be something the main book's going to go into uh, from seven eighty onwards, and that's nice, and that works. Uh, uh, probably the nicest thing I can say about this is that it almost makes me wonder, like maybe I could jump back onto the main book if it's going to feel more like this and less like the Valhalla stuff. Yeah, so. I mean, that is the issue, because this is so separate from everything that has come before, just based off of uh, Connor's reviews of Wonder Woman, that 
this honestly feels like such a side story that I'm sure that we'll pick up on something to do with Steve in the main book, but I doubt we're ever going to get this kind of issue. Yeah. And the first time we talked about this, we, we had a little bit of debate about who the girlfriend could be. I'm st- I'm very much firmly on the side of this is just someone we're never going to meet. Or at least if we do, it'll just be some... I think the way it talks about her maybe like feeling insecure, having to live mm-hmm. up to Wonder Woman, especially if he's making documentaries about her after she's dead, right. implies to me that she's not a superhero or someone in the superhero community and is probably just a normal person. Right, and I I fully get that, and I'm pretty much on that side as well, but I did bring up the possibility that it is someone we already know, because specifically, they never give her a name. As soon as Ed is about to mm. bring it up, or sorry, as soon as Steve's about to bring it up, Edda interjects, and they only show her on the phone as Babe. So there is a possibility that this is someone we already know, possibly a supervillain for those extra also- juicy stakes, but... No, I'm thinking about it, like... What kind of douchebag puts his girlfriend into his phone under the name Babe? Like, call, her, calling I, her Babe, yeah, that makes sense. That's normal, but... I have my own mother in my phone under her full name, so I guess I'm on the other side of that. <laughs> I mean, I don't do that just because, you know, parents... I, don't, I, I never use my my parents name for any reason yeah. so <laughs> uh, but you know babe, babe for your girlfriend's weird you still use your girlfriend's name that's, yeah. that's a bit odd but anyway. he's even got the emojis the little heart and the diamond uh well you know this makes that made me think that steve's a douchebag uh <laughs> art is pretty solid as well i think uh just to mention yeah. that before we rate it it's um i think the coloring is quite smart and uh it's it's obviously it's going through all these different scenarios during the documentary but all the stuff with the actual them sitting watching the laptop whenever it goes back to that. Uh, tends to be a little bit more moody, a bit more shadows, that kind of thing. Uh, the ending, when the lights are off, but the sun's starting to rise, has a very different colour palette because it is trying to show you dawn happening outside. Um, yeah. So, you know, my, it, only issue, my only issue with the, uh, the entire art in general is I'm just not a huge fan of uh, when pencilers do, like, cross-hatching shadows themselves. I prefer it's left up to the colorist or even possibly the anchor, depending on how moody they want to make it. Mm. But uh, that's just a personal thing for me. I'm not, I'm not huge on that art style, and that's definitely more visible every time that uh, Edda and Steve are on the couch. Yeah. So. No, good. What are you rating the uh, first story? Uh, honestly, it's pretty good. I can't really find much fault with it, so I'm going to give it a 7. I, I, I like it. I definitely, the last page, I think, is probably the strongest out of the whole thing in that it's just it it's basically the entire story in sum up in that it's steve's feeling lonely he gets a note from wonder woman the note is you know boiling down a bunch of what she is and then it's saying that hope's on the horizon it's basically the issue in miniature and it's gorgeous to look at because with the sun rising and the colors and everything. Uh, should, should mention the note though? I think the note it's implied that that's like something already had. It's not like a new note that he's, yeah. he's received. Yeah. yeah. That, strikes, that strikes me as the sort of thing that they got like when they broke up or something like yeah. that. Or... So yeah. But no, I'll, I'll give it a 7. It's a, it's a very well done story and especially compared to later parts of the book, it's actually a story. It actually has beats. So Yeah, that's kind of a point. has kind of an ending. Hmm. Uh... Yeah, I, uh, I'll probably go nudge higher, actually, and go 7.5, but then I'm not against the cross-hatching as, quite as much as uh, yeah. <laughs> you are. Um, so, 
Yeah, no, like, not, I wouldn't quite say great, but definitely a very solid issue that, like, if this, this was, like, if I was reading the run of Wonder Woman and this was an issue with the other characters talking about her in this way, I, I would enjoy this issue uh, as a oh. as an examination of her, so. Uh, neat stuff. Uh, next up, um, we have a story which, I mean, I'll just get the art complaints out of the way. This is not my, my preferred style of art. I do think the colours are very nice. I like the flat colours. I like the colour palette. But this anime eye style of art here yeah. in this story is not my thing. So uh, expect a low score based on just on that. <laughs> that's, that, uh, that's, that, that's my only problem. And this is definitely more of a subjective complaint because obviously yes. art is somewhat subjective. I do have some objective critiques of what the actual rating is, but that'll come in a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for anyone who's only you actually said, Young Diana story. Yes. It's called Dreamers. Um. I mean, I don't... So, the whole story is basically that Diana, she she dives underwater, she's looking for something to do, I guess, because she's just bored or anxious or whatever. She finds a shark, and I guess the shark is her friend named Theo. And they make their way into this cave that's covering a passage to Doom's Doorway, which sounds ominous. Does Doomsday uh, come out of Doom's Doorway? Yes, Doomsday comes out of Doom's Doorway the legion of doom and <laughs> we had one more what was it i don't know i i seem to recall <laughs> critiquing you taking the joke too far last time and which is why we're ending it now so nubia <laughs> is <laughs> nubia is the one guarding the um uh doorway and basically it's just a talk about like how people expect so much out of diana and Nubia relates like, hey, I'm expected to stand out of the store, but I still find time to play music and be myself. And maybe that's something that you should find for yourself. And that's basically the gist of the issue. Yeah, it's not, it's not really a story. It's just it's a, it's a general idea of, like, you're still discovering yourself. I'm still discovering myself. It takes time. Um, but it, it, like a lot of the stories you get in these anthologies, and we're going to say this about a few of these, but I'll sort of emphasize the point with this one just so I can refer back to it, is... It's just a thought. It's not a story with a beginning, middle, and end. It's not something with an arc or anything. It's just here's a a point that that like I don't know. Like I get frustrated with these because it, it kind of feels like when you get too many stories like this in one of these anthologies, it feels like so many of them aren't actually doing anything. They're just yeah like, reiterating something, and on and that's it. There's no yeah. Actual... I mean, I'm more okay with it in later stories when it's more of like here is an aspect of wonder woman of diana that like we're really playing up that oh she's focused on the truth or she feels like an outcast or whatever the whatever the part of diana is we're focusing on this one doesn't really even feel like it's focusing on a part of diana it's more just focusing on a general good message to partake in like it's 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 and i from what i gather this is basically going to be what young diana is the whole way through it's just going to be a young adult story breaking down because it says that at the end of the issue that this is only the beginning so this may yeah. even be like a prelude to the issue itself it probably is um uh but it definitely confirmed to me that i have no interest in, in reading that <laughs> so, <Fair enough>. you know <laughs> uh, so it, it's done its job in, in a sense mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, uh, and it looks like the music that Nubia plays at the end is kind of like traveling to the door, like it may awaken to whatever's yeah. behind the door or something like that. Uh, yeah, just definitely not for me. Uh, really not into the art, and I don't think the story is really doing much beyond just a like a, a basically the, the the fragment of the start of an idea is what the what the actual writing is. So. Uh, yeah, it feels to me like they probably wrote Young Diana, and then they were like, hey, would you like a story in this to basically mm. get people into Young Diana before it comes out? And this is kind of just like tangentially related to it. They couldn't actually do anything that impacts the story heavily because yeah. they already wrote it. So this is just something they're like, okay, here's a little extra fluff at the beginning that can just flow right into the rest. Yeah, we ran up. Um, I am nowhere near as hard on the art as you are. Um, don't get me wrong, it's not my favorite for superhero comics, but it is, I think, fine. And like you said, the coloring is fantastic for a lot of it. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give this a six and a half in that you're right is that it doesn't have a story and that's what's bringing it down. It is just a thought. But because the art, I don't have any sort of problem with at all. Um, for for the tone that this story is telling. If this were like, if this were the issue where Wonder Woman snapped Maxwell Lord's neck, I would have an issue with this art. <laughs> but, I almost want to see this artist take on that page now, just to see yes, what it would look like. That would be something. Um, uh, but no, for this, for Young Diana, this art is perfectly fine. So yeah, I'll give it a six and a half. Would have been higher if it had been an actual three-act structure sort of thing. Yeah, well... Next up, we have. Well, actually, well, you're gonna rate it. Yeah. Sorry, sorry four. I say because I already rated oh. last night, so I'm like I'm forgetting sometimes what I said this time and what I said last time. Uh, okay. So uh, next up is the Amy Reader story. It's called Fresh Catch. A uh, bunch of evil fishermen have trapped Wonder Woman on a big magnet. Uh, yeah. I believe the joke I made last time was something about uh, the villain from I know what you did last summer from every multiverse teaming up to take on Wonder Woman. So. And I thought that was yeah. funny enough that I'm repeating it. <laughs> just so everyone and knows. <laughs> and just like last time, I'm nodding politely and moving on. Yes. Uh, you don't appreciate good humor, David. I know that. Uh, that's why you listen to our show. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so this is another one that's very much uh, kind of not for me in a lot of ways. Um, it's not so much that the art's not good, because the art is, is good. It's very pulpy. It's got the, the, the pop art, the pop, you know, the dots and all that. Um yes. But it's it's got that kind of pulpy, uh, what do you call it, the bombshell style thing where it's it's in that old nineteen thirties kind of mm. attitude with the hair, and the story is basically that Wonder Woman's you know friend, well, yeah, everyone knows who it is, but like yeah. she comes with a group of girls who are kind of like a sorority group that have all been inspired by Wonder Woman, and mm. it's basically just one big action scene, but it's a lot of that kind of kitschy, pulpy. Like, come on, gals, we can beat up these boys, and, like, just all this kind of cheesy... It's just... The tone yeah. and what it's vibing for is just really not for me. I, I kind of appreciate, like, this appeals to people, though. I appreciate that this is going to have an audience. Mm. Not not my thing. <laughs> no, that's fair. I, I I appreciate the action scene. I mean, I, it, I think it takes up a bit too much. I think there's, like, two pages of setup, and then it's just nothing but action for the rest of it. But I do appreciate the flow of it. I can feel, like, how everybody's moving. It's not just, like, punch, punch, punch. You can see on the two-page spread, especially, there's the one girl who you get the full action of her leaping off the tower of people, grabbing onto the magnet, her letting 
Wonder Woman go. Like it's it it has a good flow of making sure I know where everything is, despite being also completely bombastic at the same time. Yeah. Um, like, the art the art is actually like as much as I'm not a fan of the style that it's shooting for, I actually think the art itself is very good. Uh, both sequentially yeah. and in sort of the line work and stuff. It's just that it's more just the the tone and all that is going for. Yeah. So the entire issue as a whole, if if we said the first one was more of a sum up of Wonder Woman as a whole, and the second one is just a thought that they had, the good like lesson to part partake in. That this one is more of a, I guess closer to the second one in that it's basically just a a girl power sort of vibe to it yeah it's just a fight and it's 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 like oh it's not not wonder woman herself for the most part it's it's who she inspires it you know it's the idea that wonder woman inspires little girls and that they all grew up to be kick-ass fighters like this and that's cool like the one the one caption box here is she knows what happens when women come together before her eyes group form taking on a life of their own like it's just the thing of like no you have this power within yourselves you don't need one and not not a bad message to do but it is it is so much of a just oh you could apply this to pretty much any story that has like any civilian doing anything so i don't think story-wise or at least again this is more of a thought than a story but i think it doesn't really have that much punch to it it really is all delivered in the art yeah it's mainly just one big action scene and the sentiment's obviously really good it's, it's just that mm-hmm. i think i for me i would have preferred like something that was in a different era or something that was set in a more like even just something that was silver age i would say would be more interesting i mean yeah. we've got a silver age looking story coming up which uh, we'll get to but mm-hmm. uh this is just not my life and that's fine yeah. like you know it's, it's okay i mean i think that the whole reason that they said it back in this age is that uh, along with the beta lambda sorority which feels like a super deep dive we also have wonder woman has mental radio whatever that is <laughs> So I feel like this was all golden age stuff that they were like, all right, we're just going to pull from there. And as such, we're going to set it back in that time period. Yeah. Uh, all right. We were in it. Uh, this one, I'm going to go ahead and give a. I'm going to give another seven to because I think that. While the story is not. 100% what I'm in for, it more than makes up for it in the art style. Oh, so, yeah, like this is, art... so this is on par with the first one for you. Yeah, because it's whereas the first one, it was a good sum up and it was a good, you know, everything else. I the art wasn't super doing it for me. It wasn't bad by any means, but it wasn't just blowing me away. Mm. This one, the story is not blowing me away, but the art is definitely doing something for me. I really do enjoy just the madcap zaniness while also being able to follow it at the same time. Yeah, that takes some real talent to be able to pull off. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. I'm definitely going higher than the last one. I think this is maybe more like a six to me. Uh, and I you know I don't want to complain about it really, other than maybe I'd like more of an actual story. But uh, the art is very strong. Uh, it's 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 definitely accomplishing exactly what the you know the writer and artist in this case the same person uh is setting out to do. Like they're going for a feel, they're definitely achieving that feel, and I cannot critique that. It's just not one that I'm particularly uh you know invested in. So uh, there you go. Uh, next up we got the Mark Wade story. And yes. this this is the the sort of the, the silver age designs for the most part in the art. It's uh, Garcia Lopez on the art who is is kind of you know prolific with with that type <laughs> of uh, style and these versions of these characters. Uh, the story here is that Wonder Woman uh, is kind of because of her wisdom 
as someone that uh, the rest of the Justice League and even some other like sort of auxiliary characters like Robin, for example, will go to her for advice on the most random of things. Uh, and the biggest one later in the issues or later in the story is Barry, you know, debating if you should tell Iris who he is, uh, you know, who he really is. And what was weird is it sounds like they've already got married. <laughs> I'm like, Barry, maybe before the wedding would have been <laughs> the time for that. But <laughs> okay. I mean, I think he makes the exact comment, but I should have done it months ago. Yeah. So, yes. True, true, true. He's, he's got regret. Uh, but this this is uh, Wonder Woman eventually getting frustrated that she keeps being asked for advice and she snaps a little bit at Superman and this makes her go and consult the lasso because she wants to, you know, why she's feeling this way. And she finds out that the truth of the matter is it's not that she doesn't want to give advice, she just thought she didn't want to. And the truth is, is that she actually, and what this makes her realize is that she is like, oh, I'm actually accomplishing and helping people in a way that is not using my fists and is not kicking and punching. It's actually uh, something I can offer that's separate from that. And the end of the story is her actually like going back to Barry and saying, look, and this was actually my one my, my one kind of critique of the story, mm-hmm. is that the Superman snapping almost feels a little bit uh, like redundant because yes. the advice she gives to Barry is already her kind of snapping in a way because she's like, like don't come back to me again if you don't like do the right thing this time and she gets a little bit you know yeah there's a whole montage leading up to that it's got green lantern asking for advice hawk girl asking for advice they get full pages and then you've got a single panel each of green arrow and robin and then it goes back to half a page for flash and then another full page for superman it just feels like the montage ramped up and then slowed back down again and it's fine for it to get longer for Barry because I think that's the you know that's the important yeah. one. That's that's if the, it's the cl- one that kicks it, yeah. kicks that realization off. But then we get the Superman entire page, and it just feels completely unnecessary. Yeah. So so that that that's my one real complaint is that Superman page just feels like it's pointless and doesn't add anything to it. Especially since when she has a realization and goes back to make amends, she doesn't go to Superman to apologize for being snappy. She she goes back to Barry because she's that's the one who she kind of originally snapped at and actually gave bad advice to. Says, no, let me talk to you about it. Let's go and sit down and have a drink and we can we can talk this through. I mean, it wasn't so much she gave bad advice, but her last comment was, good, and if you backpedal again, do not come to me about <laughs> it, which is kind of harsh. I would, I would describe it as snappy. That's a snappy yeah. reaction. Uh, so, yeah. Um, on top of... Sorry, on top of that, the um, the only other thing I would add is that the first, I guess, two pages before Green Lantern asks for advice kind of just feel a little bit out of place in this story in that it's them fighting three, are they demons? Are they, yeah, three giant purple demons that are attacking the city. And Wonder Woman wraps the lasso around one of them and makes him confess that, like, he hates the, his brothers, and therefore they all start fighting and they destroy each other. Which, on his own, I thought was amusing, at least. I think it's amusing on its own, but connected to this issue, it just feels like complete. Especially because it ends with them saying, "Like, ah, oh, this is why the demons were defeated." And then the very next page is later, aka completely disconnected from what we just saw. It's just Wonder Woman in the Invisible Jet and Green Lantern riding on the wing. It didn't feel necessary. And then add on top of that, before the fight as a whole, there's a panel where. Flash is talking to, I assume, the audience, basically saying, like, oh, we started the Justice League, we assumed Superman would be our leader, but he said, why would we settle for him when Wonder Woman was gifted by Athena at birth? And then he just 
never uh, like it never my, follows up it my never does anything theory with that is that it's supposed to be narration boxes and not speech bubbles and some someone just messed up <laughs> there was a, a miscommunication because it and feels it, weird that it's a speech bubble and not a piece of narration yes and that is possible it is in the first person though so when we first began the justice league it is flash like yeah. talking it could be a narration box but it is it's just strange that it is which actually further just solidifies the idea that Flash is the important character because he's the he's the character who's most rel- relative to what Wonder Woman's going to go through in this issue. Oh yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, that's that's fair. But I think Mark Wade does have a great handle on the characters. It's great to hear his voice again. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, obviously the art is very classic and Silver Age looking as uh, Garcia Lopez usually does. Um, it's hard not to enjoy this probably the most so far I think because it does have a story. There you know there's a, a build up and a realization. And Wonder Woman sort of learns something about herself. I mean, it's still very much one of those things where we're getting across an idea about the character and kind of like solidifying it. But Wonder Woman herself has to like realize it in the story, and it, you know, it concludes what was set up. So, yeah, yeah, good. Uh, overall, I think rating wise, I would give this a seven point five. I think it's very good. I I can never fault the. Garcia Lopez art, like nothing in here is bad at all. It's it's exactly what you think of when you think of Silver Age. Yeah. Like the whole way through. Maybe with a little bit of modern flourishes here and there, but for the most part, it's it, when you think of the characters, they all look exactly like they are in your mind. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. The whole tangent, actually, when we first did this, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the Silver Age, how it's kind of the, at least for our generation, it's what we think of as the default looks of a lot of these characters. Uh, so I think that's why it works for stories like this, where you want it to feel like the the sort of the classic version of these, but technically a lot of them have Golden Age versions that we don't necessarily like as much for various reasons. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, the only thing that's counting it back writing-wise is it just feels a little bit padded, like that whole first page and then the whole Superman page. I feel like those could have been cut and you could have gotten pretty much the same amount out of it yeah uh funny enough that opening narration from flash is the, probably the only thing about that first page or scene that is important for the rest of the book uh yeah true. so um but hey uh, I, I would probably yeah i think i will probably go with a 7.5 on this um it's good uh i mean if i had to i was expecting to like it maybe a bit more because it's weird and it is really good but it's yeah, it's got a couple enough nitpicks uh, to just kind of drag it down, and I think that's maybe more to do with the format of like I wonder if this is like oh this was meant to be like a eight page story, but they give him ten pages, so he's like well shit, mm-hmm. um okay I guess I'll just pad out a fight at the start because that can be what they were doing before the conversation, and then right. I like writing Superman, so I'll do a Superman scene even though it feels like it should have been before the Flash scene in terms of ramping up, but uh, yeah, hey, um. Next story is the Tom King, Doc Shainer one, and it is set in the 60s, maybe 70s, uh, when Wonder Woman has no powers and is a fashion designer. And mm-hmm. this, uh, so we disagreed a little bit in this one because, uh, well, yeah. I appreciate the point that it's making about how Diana is different from Clark. Uh, when we get into the story, we'll sort of see how that gets set up. Um, yeah. The dialogue in this, which is trying to be the most overly of its period uh, with lots of phrases like I think you'll dig it, don't be square. Uh, it's so constant and aggressive that I found the, the, the dialogue annoying. <laughs> so Lois Lane's very first speech bubble is, oh, it is hep to the max. It puts me in orbit. Exactly. <laughs> You're my, not a fan of that? That's my, ca- Case in point. 
case in point right there. <laughs> so the actual story of the issue, though, is that uh, Lois jokingly, of course, because we know that Clark's in love with Lois, but she doesn't know that yet. This is kind of that part of the relationship. As he, she sets him up on a date with Diana, but of course she doesn't know that they actually know each other because they're Wonder Woman and Superman. So when they show up to the blind date, he's like, oh, hey, it's you. And it's like you. But they try and kind of hang out anyway. Uh, and they go to a, a club. She makes Clark dress in better, you know, wackier clothes because he's too much of a square. He's too much of a cop, as she keeps putting it. You look like a cop. Yeah. And they go and have a decent time, have a sort of quiet moment uh, walking where they even sort of pose the question, like, you know, maybe since we are so different and we both kind of understand each other, you know, why don't we try and make this thing kind of work as a relationship? And Diana says, no, like, that's not what we are. Uh, we're very different um, and it would never actually work. And obviously, I, and I, I think here, the key thing that I'd like to get across is that I don't think this issue is saying that they should be together or that Clark really wants it. Yeah. I think Clark clearly is still in love with Lois here, still wants to be with Lois, and he's almost just posing this idea because he has had a nice night and he's realized that, hey, I can't tell Lois who I am. I'm struggling constantly to get across who I am to Lois. And the final scenes with Lois in this where he tries to kind of ask her out and she just misunderstands what he's saying and says, no, but yeah. Superman would never go to this club. I'm not going to this stupid club. You know, mm -hmm. we have to chase the stories, Clark, and we have to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so there's a lot of fun stuff in there in that sense, but ultimately it's about diana and it's like no and the reason why it's set in this time period i'm not complaining that it's set in this time period because i actually get the thematic relevance because she's talking about how all these people in this generation who want to be free all these hippies and all these people chasing this kind of freedom like i already have that i've already had that my whole life and uh that's what they're kind of aspiring to so it's kind of using the setting to kind of bring her in but it's and it's not yeah. saying that she is better than clark for having that and him being quote-unquote a cop it's right. just kind of pointing out the differences in the characters and how they view the world uh and who they are um so if anything that's the point of this is to show that yeah well there may be some obvious reasons to like pair them in your head and go what if with these two mm. ultimately it's not the right choice and they 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 are aware of that diana especially is aware of that and yeah, yeah so but like, I, I mean I, all the story beats yeah. i like i just hate the dialogue and it was annoying me so it'll be getting a a, a lukewarm rating as a result uh yeah i mean i can't everything you said for the most part i completely agree with um because most you know it is just how the story is but i don't have a problem with the how it was said because i think that it's purposely meant to show the difference between like how Diana's side of where she is right now, the free and like how she just randomly hops in a van with some of her hippie friends and just goes off <laughs> at the end. Um, it's purposely showing the dichotomy between that side of things and then how Clark is, how he like he walks into the club and his first thing is there are at least 74 crimes currently being committed in this establishment. Like, it's just meant to show just how much of a square he really is. Not that... Not that it's inherently a bad thing. Do you know what's so funny? Is... is that that is so Batman as well. Like, people don't like yeah. to admit how close they are in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I could definitely see if this was instead Bruce Wayne and, instead of Clark Kent, I could definitely see him walking in and instead of saying that they're 74, he would just constantly have an eye on them. He'd just be looking out the corner of his eye being like, hmm, looks like some gangbangers are here. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, it's, um, it's just funny to me. Uh, you, you know, obviously, he's not even in the story, but it just it made me think of him. Um, there is one bit uh, that he just jumped over. They go out and get ice cream after they go to the club, mm-hmm. and the Superman has to while while Diane is getting ice cream, Superman has to go Superman and save South America from an asteroid. And so she's getting ice cream, but then a bunch of uh, robbers break in. And despite the fact that she doesn't have any official powers or anything like that, she does still know how to fight. And she just takes out the robbers and gets her ice cream. And then Superman returns and he's like, hey, what did I miss? He's like, oh, there's a robbery, no big deal. And he's like, cool, cool. Glad that you can handle that. And he doesn't even like at any point show concern or anything that she wasn't able to handle herself despite the fact she doesn't have powers. Like, it's still, despite the fact that she is, for all intents and purposes, human right now, they still, he, he still thinks that they are complete equals. Yeah. And how it... Which is very Superman. He, he, he views everyone kind of like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of his thing. But I do think there is a level of concern that Superman shows for people who he cares about that yeah. don't have superpowers. And it's interesting to see that even when Wonder Woman's powerless, he still knows that he... That she can handle herself. Yeah, she's still Wonder Woman. The powers don't make her Wonder Woman, essentially, right, is what exactly. it's saying. Um, um, that's a nice no, touch. Art-wise, it's Doc Shaner. Yeah, right? I mean... I couldn't complain about any yeah, of this. Yeah, the, the art's, like, there's not, the art's probably the best in the book so far. It's yeah. it's just phenomenal stuff. Um, nice wide variety as well. Obviously, the colours are going wild because it is the th- because of the time period that they're right. playing with that quite a bit. Um yeah, so I mean, as far as ratings goes, like I'm probably going to give this like a six point five, which is you know because it's not like I hated the story. Like I think it's actually a, it's got a point as a story. You know, so one of the things I've complained about some of these is that they don't have stories. This does have a story. It does have a a, a more nuanced point to make. It's not just a, a simple like Wonder Woman is brave. That is point over. This right. is a little bit more nuanced than that in the comparison with her and Clark and uh like and you know surprise surprise tom king going for a deeper cut than just she is brave and heroic uh yeah. so uh fair play to that so 6.5 for me what are you giving it uh honestly i i think i like this a little bit more than either of or any of the previous ones so i'm gonna give this one a i'm just gonna go with the eight because this I, I really like the characterizations across the board. I like how they handled everything. I think the bittersweet moment at the end where they both know that it's not going to work out between them, but, you know, Clark still asks and Wonder Woman just lets him know why it wouldn't work. And then, of course, the whole moment after that with um, Clark trying to go back yeah. after Lois, well, being which, a little bit more open. Which basically shows he's only really asking it because he's failing so bad with Lois. It's not that he really wants Diana. It's, yeah, you know. I think I think it's a feeling of, you know, he's been pining after Lois for, if you assume time moves at a regular rate, in his continuity for like 30 years now. <laughs> Lois is like 65, yes. Yeah, so he has, a, he has a date that he can be completely open with and who actively opens him up with more. And he's like, oh, that isn't how relationships have to be. Maybe this could work out. But, it's, no, it's funny because obviously it says a lot about Diana and it's Diana focused, but this is a shockingly also really good study of Clark as well at this time in his life. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, this, this is really good for both of them. So that's kind of interesting how that worked out. Um, uh, but no, I, I would give this an eight just because, and the art, like I have no problems with the story, but the art as a whole just mm. top tier. There's nothing that bad I could say about it. All right. Well, next up we have Better Angels, which is Vitalia with Isaac Goodhart on the art. This is one that surprised me a little bit. Um, and I know you disagree, 
but (laughs) but uh this is a story with wonder woman fighting cheetah and the basic gist of it is that wonder woman effectively surrenders because there's some children who need to be saved she is not willing to stop the fight and she says look you know what i will give you the lasso i'll give you myself you can do whatever you want afterwards as long as we save those kids who are there on a field trip with their teacher and wonder woman offers this and then jumps over to save the kids and is actually kind of going to fail and it ends up being cheetah who like sort of like holds the roof up and lets them all escape so cheetah kind of does this big heroic act uh, and the story ends with Cheetah saying, you know what, no, I'm not I'm not winning this because you gave in in a moment of uh, weakness. I'm, I'm, I'm going to win this because I win the fight. Uh, so I'll be back for another day. Um, so, no, I, I kind of dug this. I thought it was... Uh, it was a, a more condensed story, but I still thought it was a story because it gave Cheetah this moment where she had to jump in and be the hero and showed that she is still... Got, there's still a human being in there with feelings and empathy. Um, that's always one of the more interesting parts of Chia is that you know can Barbara yeah. Ann be brought back kind of thing. Uh, I think the flat colors uh, emulating kind of an older style. Uh, the, the Wonder Woman's hair tells you this is emulating the '80s style of her art with the big curls and yeah. and all that stuff. So I kind of appreciated that. I thought the fight was entertaining. Uh, the emotional core of the story, which is just playing upon. I mean, I'll give you this one's kind of borderline, where it's like, there's kind of a story, but it's also kind of just saying, oh, this is just re-establishing what Barbara and Diana's, like, relationship is. And I think that's yeah. a fair point, but it at least I hits mean, me a bit more than some of the other ones did. Yeah, for me, it's... So this is this is an eight-page story. It's, it's the exact same length as the um, Tom King one that we just finished. And it just, for me, it feels so padded out. Because if you... If you went through everything that happened in the Tom King one. There's, there's multiple beats, there's multiple everything. This one, it, it opens with the fight scene. The fight scene lasts for four of the pages. And then the remaining four of the pages are, sorry, three of the pages are saving the kids. And then the last page is them saying, them reiterating how the relationship is. And it's especially bad for me, though, because on page two, Diana makes the point of, hey, there are children over there. We should try to save them. And then they're still doing that six pages later. It, it, it just strikes me as slow, slower than it needs to be. Like at one point they save all the children or they think they save all the children. They're walking out of the dust. And then the teacher points back like, hey, there's one more. And then they show up that there's one more. Like I felt like that was completely like, why, why did we need the one extra child? didn't seem to really add anything at that point you know i think Uh, maybe you can make the argument that it is just adding more to what their relationship is that you know it's giving cheetah more of a because because the first time she jumps in it's kind of like a surprise like heroic moment this is more like no she just does it without thinking about it this is just reaffirming that i guess I don't necessarily yeah. have a problem with the the pacing, because uh, some comic books are just paced like this, you know, because Tom King's got a very particular type of pacing, the way he goes yeah. through a story. Uh, th- this is more sort of traditional, not 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 traditional, because the, the time period definitely was not as decompressed as this. The time period this is emulating was definitely a lot more story per page. De- right. There's no good doubt in that. Um, but this, is, this isn't like obscene to me uh the way this uh, plays out uh, to me this is given the, oh, no. it, the, the fight like the pacing to sort of breathe and i i guess you know as far as like oh like it, we're meant to be in a rush to save the kids but it feels like it takes six pages to get there i, I guess mm-hmm. in my my head it just kind of works for me that oh well all this fighting takes place in the space of about four seconds and it's just you know 
we're 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 really focusing on all the details of the actual fight i guess but yeah i mean for me i guess i'm just like i read out what they say in my head in terms of as if it was like a movie or something like that and even if i'm reading as fast as humanly possible through all their speech bubbles it takes at least like a minute for all sure. this to play out i'm like those kids are already crushed I think that's maybe a wider complaint with comics, though, is that there's so many speech bubbles mid-fights and things that are yeah. really unrealistic if you actually think about someone trying to say it while they're in the middle of a, a swing or, you know, whatever. And that is also just the complaint I have with this comic, is even when they're not fighting, I, I think it's just too many speech bubbles as a whole. I don't think... Like, man, again, maybe that's trying to emulate the times where people were mm. talking a lot more and it wasn't so much as relying on the art, but, like, Every time they cut to the kids, it's just two or three speech bubbles of screaming, saying "Help us! I want my mommy!" stuff like that. I, I was, I mean, I was fine with that. I, I, I had a decent amount of fun with yeah, this. Okay, uh, like, none, none of this is me like saying like this is trash and I, I hate every moment of it. It's a fine thing. It's just the little nitpicks that, especially when it was after something that I enjoyed so much, it just felt completely. I don't want to say wrong, but just completely not up to that same threshold, you know? Well, I mean, I, I, VLA has done some good stuff, done some bad stuff. I have been very up and down with their work. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised that I was kind of into this. And maybe it being so simple is partly why I liked it so much. Uh, so, uh, and maybe this is the exact sort of perfect refresher after, you know, a Tom King story, which is usually tends to be a bit more nuanced and a bit more deep diving. This is, you know, yeah. going back to something a bit more simple. And uh, maybe it's perfectly, Sort of placed in the book for that, but uh, as far as far as ratings go, uh, what are you giving it? Uh, I'm gonna give this one a six. I think it's pretty pretty much on par with uh, the Young Diana story. It's just a matter of yeah. I, I. Well, see, I I think the art is passable. I think it's fine. Um, I can follow all the action. Each of the characters looks good. Again, it's got that same sort of shading problem that I had with the first story in that. Because it's all flat colors, none of the shading is done by the colorist. It's all done by the pencil slash ink. And I'm just not a huge fan of that in general. But I can appreciate that it is good art, even despite that. Um, but no, really all the points are lost for me on the writing and the pacing. Uh, not that I think that they mischaracterized anyone. It's just... It feels more to me like a hand-holding sort of situation where they can't rely on the art for anything, so they're having to over-explain at every point. Um, no, it worked for me. Uh, I think it showed Wonder Woman's attitude that she was willing to just sacrifice herself to, to, to you know, be willing to save these kids, and then Cheetah jumping in to help give her a heroic moment. So, I, you know, I like it. It's, it's, Cheetah being my favorite Wonder Woman villain, it's nice that she gets a bit of a spotlight in one of these stories. Uh, and I, I did enjoy the art, so um, probably a straight seven for me on this one. Um, pleasantly surprised, uh, which is good because I'm about to shit all over uh, a Steve Orlando story, as I tend to do. Because very, very <laughs> like every so often, Steve Orlando will do something that I think's all right. And I think the sad part is, is that ultimately what I don't like about Steve Orlando is just I, I don't like his dialogue. Like I, I think his dialogue is just awkward to read, and I find myself having to go back and read Bubbles again, try to like. Wait, what did they just say technically? Like, I, yeah. I, I just, it doesn't flow for me, and I feel like I don't take it in in the same way that good writing, like, just, like, good good dialogue just flows into you, and you just don't even have to think about it, and you get exactly what it's saying, you get even subtext without thinking about it. 
And then you have dialogue like this where it just feels so stilted and so wordy and so roundabout. Um, the actual story, uh, to get into it, is basically there's this conflict with Saturn. Every time Saturn eclipses or something, or an orbit, or whatever it's, it said. It's uh, when Earth aligns with the great moon Titan. There you go. So whenever that happens, uh, like a warrior from Saturn comes, and Artemis tells a story about when she fought this warrior as Wonder Woman. Hippolyta does the same. But then it reveals that this is Diana's turn, but she's actually done something different. She's actually made like a a peace treaty <laughs> with with okay. them instead. She's mm-hmm. she's spoken with this new Saturn warrior, went back to uh, Titan with her. Turns out they were kind of oppressed, and the warriors who were always sent were kind of forced into it and didn't like doing it. And Diana goes and sort of helps. And the next time we have this moment, this this next time we're in in sync in orbit, we're going to celebrate our our union. Uh, between you know the Amazons and and Titan, and that I mean that there's nothing wrong with this basic gist of what I've just said. Uh, no. I would just not dis- I w- I would not say that I enjoyed the actual reading of any of this though because I didn't enjoy the dialogue. How did you yeah, feel? Uh, it's hard for me because I'm so like on one hand, I I like the idea that. So if we boil down each story into just a thing of what Wonder Woman is, this is her being the ambassador. This is her being, you know, like she was an ambassador of the Amazons to mankind. This is her being ambassador to the Titans as well. Yeah, and almost in contrast as well to the idea that the previous Wonder Woman, you know, in this version where there's previous Wonder Woman, which isn't always the case, um, right. they, like, they still saw this as, like, oh, you're going to have a battle coming up. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to be a warrior. And Diana right. th- thinks outside that box and does something else that's in tune with her, her personality. Yeah. And, I mean, Artemis just straight up kicked the guy's ass and sent him home, whereas mm. Hippolyta at least offered, because the one they were fighting, Saturnette, um, she was a woman. She offered her a place on Themyscira. So, you know, they were getting better with time, but Diana just jumped the gun. I think... I didn't mind the dialogue that much. I think that it's fine. My biggest problems I had, and I don't even know if they're nitpicky or not, were just, it didn't feel like it explained enough of the right stuff. It explained, like, okay, so there's an annual thing, and they fight, and they do this stuff. But then, like, it talks about Nubia, and it's like, oh, well, Nubia's never even fought in the invasion. And Nubia makes the comment of, you're right. Defending millions in the higher dimensions has kept me a bit busy. Do you know what she's even talking about? Uh, isn't that kind of like her thing, though? Like, Is it? I, I don't know a lot about Nubia, but I, I believe that's kind of like she, she's off doing other things. Because I mean, if she <laughs> is, that's fine. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I just would like a little bit of a. Like, it, it didn't explain that part. It really went into in-depth with, like, okay, here's how the Saturn duel works, and it happens at this time, and it does all this. Meanwhile, they just glance over this part where this new-ish character that they're bringing back, like, what has she been up to? I don't know. And it hasn't been in comic format, so... But no, that's, that's just me. Um, and then the other part is at the end where it's revealed that Basically, Hippolyta just got the date wrong. Like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know, the, the moon is crossing over tonight. And one of them's like, actually, it happened a week ago. I'm not going to, I don't know why you messed that up. But anyway, I already solved the problem. Yeah, it's just a bit silly. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it, it just strikes me as a couple contrivances to get to this point. Well, I, I think that's my problem. Like, I I feel Orlando's dialogue and rating have these contrivances at a pretty regular enough rate where I never settle into just enjoying what's happening. There's just there's something, you know, every so often in every story that I seem to read from him that takes me out of what he's doing constantly. And it, yeah. and it's something that I can't shake from him, and I feel like here in this story again, it doesn't feel like anything's gotten better. Um, as far as the art goes, I would say that it's not terrible by any means, but I will say that there is kind of this weird, uncanny kind of flatness to some of the faces that feels kind of weird. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes it has that. this kind of flat face effect, which would be fine if everything was had that flat look, but it doesn't. Like, the bodies don't necessarily have that flat look, and some faces look like they're more uh, defined than others at times. Um, yeah, it's inconsistent. I think where it, when it hits it, it hits it well, and I think the colors do an amazing job at it, making it better. Yeah, um, but it does have a couple of inconsistencies throughout. Yeah, because there are yeah, like the full page spread of like Wonder Woman and her like battle outfit going to help fight in Titan. Like that's a yeah. fine page. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but then there's other pages where I feel like the face just looks a bit off or or whatever. So. Yeah, so unfortunately not good. Oh, I also mentioned this is actually further than we got when we recorded yesterday, so uh, we're into yeah. uncharted territory now as far as opinions goes. Uh, so this is where I ruin the recording. I will I will murder you. I will actually murder you. Uh, so next up, uh, I could have swore we were getting a Barbara Ann story here. Wait, Han, are we, are we rating this one? Oh, sorry. Uh, go on. Yeah, you go on, rate it. Uh, personally, I... Um, it's okay. It's fine in everything. It's just not exemplary. So I'm gonna go ahead and give this a six point five. It's it's a decent enough story. It's only when you start looking at the the little nooks and crannies of it that you're like, wait a minute, something's not right here. I, I had so, such yeah. a unpleasant time reading it, uh, like I do with a lot of Lando stuff. That I'm going to four point five. Ooh, all right. So uh, yeah, did not like it. Uh, so next up, we have this story here called Immortal Mysteries by Stephanie Phillips mm-hmm. and Marcio Takara. So Marcio Takara, obviously, really solid artist. Um, yes. And we have this, you know, redhead woman with glasses, like, going through caves and talking about artifacts. And I'm like, wait, is this a Barbara Ann story? <laughs> and it's I not. I thought it was. Yeah, it's I not. Gen- like, <laughs> I, I nothing generally... in here points to it being not a Barbara Ann story until you get to the final page. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought Matt was getting, like, a, a, a gift, a treat. A treat from the Wonder Woman gods. Um, and it's not. I even, I even double checked and went back to issue eight <laughs> because I, this last, the last line, we'll get to it. But basically, she says something about going to to uh, to Thebes, and I was like, "Is that where issue eight picks up that?" <laughs> yeah. So forgive me. So we didn't talk about this one yesterday, and I obviously read all this yesterday. So forgive me if I'm sort of uh, a little more hesitant with the story details here. But this is this. So that's this archaeologist uh, or historian. She's talking about basically this uh this person in history that or in mythology that asked for immortality for her mortal lover uh yeah. and it was granted but it didn't actually stop the person from aging so they just kept aging and yeah. stayed alive no matter what no matter how much of a decayed skeleton they became they kept aging and just begged for death and it was this horrible horrible thing um so and then this um demeter in this like this uh you know, crypt or whatever it is shows up, and uh, Wonder Woman's there to fight her. So you know, it's all, all this going on, um, and yeah, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, so it seems to me like the entirety of the, because uh, the, the opening narration talking about that myth, I don't think it actually applies to whatever it is we're seeing happen. I think it's just a myth they wanted to share and like start talking about immortality and its different forms and stuff like that. Because I think the general gist of it is that the uh, there's a cult or something that basically was trying to find immortality in their own way to beat death, but uh, Demeter wouldn't allow that. And so she wiped out the entirety well, of this they, cult. They do get attacked by like a, which I thought was maybe not the specific person from the mythology that we're talking about, but I, I thought this other person was, this like zombie-like person was someone who got immortality but kept aging. So I, right, I, th yeah. I thought it was relevant enough, at least in that sense, that it, it yeah, explains, true. you know... It's, the but it's just, they specifically go through and say that it's a cult that tried to defeat death and it didn't have anything to do with being granted immortality by the gods it was just a completely separate thing entirely but the connecting thread yes was the immortality while still aging yeah um but yeah demeter apparently wiped out the entirety of the cult but she missed one and now that wonder woman had found this missing one uh demeter tries to kill uh the person wonder woman stops her and basically says how they'll have a place on Themyscira will watch over them and make sure they don't get into trouble. And Demeter's more or less all right with that. Yeah, she's so. like, well, fine, that's your responsibility. No, bye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's basically the gist of it. And then Diana shows up to meet her, not not as Wonder Woman, but as Diana, uh, mm -hmm. oh, when this woman's given a you know class at a you know college or whatever, uh, and uh, is off to a new excavation site and says, "Well, I'm never going to, I'm not going to live forever, so I'm going." So it ends in a sort of little cheeky wink-wink to the to So the yeah, panel. I think if we, again, boil it down to just a single aspect of Wonder Woman, I think this goes over her immortality in different forms and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So obviously throughout the ages, Wonder Woman as a mantle has been taken over by several different people, but the idea of Wonder Woman has always existed. And I think that's kind of what it's dealing with. The one caption I think that lends credence is, uh, the idea that we are too important to just stop existing. So I think that's the the idea that we're leaning on more with this one. Uh, and I think it's well done. I don't think, I think it's a good story in general. I'm not sure. It doesn't really show much in terms of Wonder Woman, but I think it's just a good story regardless. Yeah, I mean, it's just a little bit of her compassion again, of course, because she's like, no, you won't kill this creature. This creature can live in Themyscira and we'll just guard right. and make sure make sure it's at least comfortable for however much, you know, however much life it has left, and which right. maybe it is ever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of weird because I, I got excited the first couple of pages because I thought, oh, this looks interesting. It's kind of spooky. I thought it might be Barbara Ann, and then it kind of just went down this cult route. Right. So the actual action got less interesting. The, the sentiments that it gets to at the end are fine, uh, but it was almost like disappointing based on what I thought it was from the first couple of pages. Uh, and even if you take out the Barbara Ann thing, like, it's okay, sure, fine, it's not Barbara Ann. That, that's not necessarily a, a deal breaker or anything. But, like, I was getting cool atmosphere, and then it turned into kind of like, like, the art of the Demeter. It's not bad art, the art is really solid because Takara's a good artist, but I don't necessarily think the design or look or, like, vibe of that character was playing into the fun spooky vibes that i was getting from the first few pages it just felt a bit more generic and like okay yeah i feel i feel underwhelmed by where this has went uh rather than how it started which i thought was quite promising so uh yeah what, what are you uh rating this one 
I mean, I do like the vibe of it. I do think the Demeter thing kind of came out of nowhere. Like I said, for the first like four pages, it's setting up this whole thing about the mythology of Zeus granting eternal life but not eternal youth. And then while it's still dealing with immortality, it goes to a completely different subject. So it just, as soon as the fourth page hits, it feels like it goes into a completely different story. That's where Demeter gets introduced and we get the cult and everything like that. I like the first four pages tone. As soon as it gets after that, it's a little bit more hit and miss for me. So overall, I'm going to give this, uh, I get the seven because the art never really falters the whole way through. While it doesn't feel the same tone, it is still very well done. Uh, but overall, I can't, I can't say that I feel any better about it than I did like that first story, especially because it doesn't feel like it has to be Wonder Woman here. I feel like the only reason that's Wonder Woman is because the goddess showed up and yeah, I, that's her realm. I mean, I think the art's one of the better pieces of art in the book. Uh, mm -hmm. It's definitely up there. Maybe not as good, quite as good as Shainer, but it's probably my favorite other than Shainer so far. That yeah. said, though, I, I think the story just completely losing my interest once it kind of got going is and the fact that i was struggling to remember it when i was <laughs> recapping it at the start of this maybe is a good sign of that that i just it kind of went to places that i thought were just unremarkable so it's definitely weaker for me than the other uh, you know the first story and some of the other ones so i i would probably put this at like a hmm maybe scrapes a six i, I kind of want to go 5.5 though and just kind of say okay. it's over, over that middle line but because it's got good art and i kind of like the mm -hmm. the potential but it's squandering it almost as more upsetting than just being mediocre. Yeah. Uh, now, is there any is there any reason that this couldn't have been Barbara Ann? Because it's only in one speech bubble that we see that her name is Professor Barnes, which, by the way, I searched up on multiple wikis. This character okay. does not exist. Yeah, is there a reason why this couldn't have been Barbara Ann before she became Cheetah? Like, maybe, the right. first, maybe this is the first time they met in this, you know, pocket continuity of this yeah. story yeah i don't or, know or even like because wasn't the whole thing in ruckus run that they had a rapport yeah yeah for a while so this could just be her defending her friend from something it was odd uh it, it was odd to give us someone who looked all like barbara and from that issue the map raves about so much and then yeah. for it not to be hard it was it was just odd yeah. but uh the final story uh of the book is called low orbit and i'm sure you love the art on this G. Willow Wilson with McGann Hetrick on the art. And yes, we once again have anime eyes. So yes, I am not fond of the art on this. And honestly, this is... I'm baffled by this story. Like, especially since it's like the, you know, the one that's ending this book on. Because it feels so... Like, okay, so Wonder Woman, Earth is basically done, right? It's, it's this kind of your Firefly thing of, like, Earth got used up. People have mm -hmm. kind of moved on. This is a space station evacuating some of the final people from Earth. And it's going it, because it, something hits it, it's going to fall into orbit. And obviously that's going to kill everyone because it's not meant to do that. <laughs> Wonder Woman eventually shows up and looks sort of... And, but this is actually one of the things about it that felt really weird to me is that this felt like more of a Superman scene. You know, the, the visual of her, like, holding up the... And I, I know yeah. she caught a plane in another story earlier, but I, I always come back to, like, kind of, like... It's very inconsistent in comics if Superman, Wonder Woman, some other characters 
can they breathe in space? Like, can they like do right. what they can do in space, kind of thing? And I feel like Superman goes back and forth a lot, but I feel like with Wonder Woman, I never see like it, she tends to need to breathe still. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. So I think that just lean, this one leans more into the immortality of Wonder Woman again. Yeah. My my thing, I didn't read the future state of Immortal Wonder Woman. This feels like that. Was that not what this was about? I don't think so. Not from what I remember. Okay, because I didn't read it at all, but just with her coming I mean, in wearing the red I, I cape guess and there was some stuff like whether it was like, you know, it was like long after Earth's demise. So I guess it technically could be right in that, but I don't necessarily know if it matters that much, given okay. you know, the idea that Earth is done and that people have moved on because the planet's dying is kind of a general concept. Yeah, I got that. Um, it, it just... Everything about it, even yeah, yeah. I just I don't know. Something about it felt a bit more Superman than Wonder Woman to me. Yeah, and... I mean, also this is this is only eighty years from now. This is set in twenty one oh nine. So I mean, the way the world's going, I wouldn't say <laughs> would surprise me all that much. Yeah, but um, yeah, you know, we obviously there's a couple of characters. There's the one sort of astronaut and uh, girl who needs to be saved specifically mm-hmm. uh so yeah but it's you know some big panels of wonder woman uh holding up the the station pushing it back into orbit and that's basically it's basically you know it's just her saying like you know does, does she stay here with the, the the dead world does she move to where people are going because that's kind of the point and mm-hmm. ed's a kind of a broad idea of like well all i can do is hope for hope is the greatest power of all and i'm like even even that word is something I associate more with Superman than I do Wonder Woman, but you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I felt a little conflicted because it felt more Superman-y as a story. I also obviously didn't like the art because of the anime eyes. Um, right. Not that it's necessarily terrible in every other sense, but I did think that maybe it was a little inconsistent with um, like the panel where she's like putting her hands on the station to hold it up. Like, I mm-hmm. thought they went a bit far with the muscularness of her compared to, like, some of the other uh, pages. I guess. See, here's that entire page, maybe not that panel, but especially the top half of the page, yeah. I thought was the best art in the issue, period. What, the, uh, the small, just, she's tiny and she's trying to hold it up against the clouds? That, kind of thing. and then falling down with her face, just, like, toughening up and showing, like, that little extra bit of strength she needed. No, I think that in terms of sequential... Uh, like, you know, showing her determination. I can see what you mean there. I think what's also points out is that I would say that she doesn't have quite the anime eyes that a lot of the other characters do. Like, the kids in this, there's a lot of kids yeah. on the space station that we see, and they all have these big, bulging anime eyes. Uh, yeah. So it's not even super consistent in that sense, which I guess is good for me, because it means that there wasn't as much of it. <laughs> that, <laughs> but it was still kind of that thing where the, the very first characters we see are kind of like that. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I, I, this just felt kind of like really. Th- th- this could have been. I mean, I, obviously, I've compared it to Superman a lot because it felt more Superman y. But this could have almost been any character that has superpowers in DC. And yeah. tell it, you know, this could be a Green Lantern story. This could be a, a Shazam story, even. This could be anyone just kind of. Uh, it, it felt very plug and play to me mm-hmm. as far as who the character is. So if. I mean, even, like, even the very first page has the, uh, the child who's like, oh, I can see the rainforest. He's holding a Superman doll action mm, figure. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. So, so I just, yeah. I, it felt to me like very plug and play, and especially since it was ending the book. Like, this is your your climactic story yeah. to end on. This is your final definitive, like positive Wonder Woman story. 
It just, right. it felt, I mean, I don't know. I feel it, like they only put it at the end because it's set in the future. And they're like, all right, mm, let's just try to get these things roughly chronologically. Well, if that's the case, the 70s one, or even the, the, the pulpy, like, I don't know. I mean, one should have been first. <laughs> young Diana would have been set when she's, like, really young. And then they went to the pulpy one, which would have been 50s. And then they went to Silver Age. So you're, say, so you're saying the incontinuity one just superseded this format, went first, and then the rest of them yeah. more or less have went in, in terms of Diana's age, give or take. Yeah, because then we got the Doc Chander for the 70s, and then we got that one you said looked like the 80s format. Already. Okay, so all right. Yeah, the okay. only one that kind of maybe breaks the mold is the... Saturn one, but even then you could argue that maybe 90s because Artemis was Wonder Woman during that era. There you go, okay, that's a good enough reason. Is there any? Yeah. But no, that, I mean, that doesn't make it any more satisfying to end the book. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that just feels very popular. And I, I like Wilson's writing, you know, I like what I've read of her Miss Marvel. Um, I, our Wonder Woman run wasn't amazing, but it was definitely had some good stuff going on. Like, I, I liked it more than this story, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, for me, the only things that stand out to me, like, I think that, yeah, the entire story's plug and play. So, what it really comes down to is just a couple little, like, okay, I guess. And the, the biggest one for me is just the inciting incident in that they're doing some work on the space station. The dude has a power drill. That's as far as I can tell is it's just a normal power drill. And the entire solar fin just snaps off. <laughs> maybe, like, that is a really bad screw-up. Yeah, maybe I build a better space station, you know? <laughs> if that's yeah. this fragile, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and then as soon as the one solar fin breaks off, they lose some orbit, and the other one snaps off as well. So while on one hand, wonder, it's, it's, it feels like such a Band-Aid fix, like... She got it back into orbit. Cool, great. But I'm assuming that those things are really necessary to survival. But yeah. she just like, all right, you're in orbit. You you guys can handle it now. Bye. And she just leaves again. Yeah, the centum is very generic. I, you know, like it tries to introduce a character to on the station to kind of be the the humans in the yeah. story, but it doesn't actually interest them enough to make me. Yeah, because a good version of this story, I'd feel, is like you really get it through the eyes of one of the kids or one of the oh, yeah. characters, and it kind of really paints like how just like like epic and otherworldly this looks watching someone like wonder woman like they you know, grab the, yeah. the station and pick it up and it would make it feel that way this just feels so i don't want to say phoned in because that feels cruel but it, it does feel like it's conceptually phoned in in the sense that it's just like ah oh, you've read stories like this before here it is again plug in wonder woman and that's it so i mean if you assume that our perspective character is the kid from the beginning and end yeah uh, the only names that we get in any regard is the kid's name is Baby, and the mama's name is Mama. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe just enough to get a sense of like how scared they are. Talking about how they're yeah. scared about leaving, um, or something. I don't know anything. It just it kind of feels like yeah. nothing. So, I mean, it it I, this one is only no, it is eight pages. So yeah, no, it is. It could have done a lot more with the with the time it had. It does feel like they spent maybe just because the Wonder Woman technically came in twice. The first time was to save the dude from floating off into space, and then the second time was to save the whole space station. Yeah, I would have almost like not had her come in the first time, just to have it be right. building up how scared like the main character is, 
talking about looking for a miracle or something <laughs> you know right. i need a hero i'm holding out for a hero to the end like you know like really sell that idea and then have it be right. a big moment she comes in or so i'm just trying to think of ways to make it feel spacier yeah. make it feel a bit more i mean impactful. if you want it to be a more a more personal and impactful story i feel like the whole thing should have just been the movie gravity where that one character mm-hmm. like whatever happens he gets disconnected from the space station and then he like has uh, oh. you just see his internal thoughts of like oh i'm going to die out here there's no nothing well, well there's two ideas there so one idea both based on gravity is you have that shot of like the spinning out into space like have that mm-hmm. moment but have just the lasso come out and grab him right yeah there you go mm-hmm. that's a moment or alternatively yeah like okay you've got a station full of people and kids and stuff but what if it was just one person trying to survive in space and feeling really hopeless and then yeah. Wonder Woman shows up to save. Like, you know, like, there's, there's a lot of uh, ideas like here. This, this, sound... could be, this could be further set in the future of it being a, like, okay, Earth is done for, everyone's left Earth, and this is one dude who's just, like, essentially the Wally of the world, where he's just the last dude keeping track of it. He's just in the space And he thinks he's on his own, and he thinks no one's coming to save him, because why would anyone be here? But then she right. shows up anyway. Yeah, there's... All of these ideas sound more interesting than what's in this because it just feels so vanilla. I guess right. I, I, to sum it up, it feels vanilla. Yeah, uh, that's fair. And that's so. Oh yeah, we were in. We were in the last story. Uh, I'm gonna give this one a six point five. I didn't. I didn't dislike the art. I think the art is fine. Um, the coloring definitely makes it pop and stand out. It's got a different color scheme than a lot of other ones, and it does set this futuristic tone to it, even though it's only eighty years from now. But mm. no, the right the fact that nothing really happens that's that stand out is what really brings it down. So yeah, six point five. Uh yeah, five out of ten for me. I was go straight down the middle. Just really yeah. mediocre and that's it. Uh yeah, the book as a whole, like a lot of these, it's a super mixed bag. Uh mm-hmm. I can't really recommend it. I don't think it is worth spending ten dollars on to read. There's nothing in there that feels so good that you have to check it out. Yeah. No, I would I honestly my highest rated one out of that was the Doc Shane or Tom King one. And I don't think that's worth ten bucks. I think Yeah. I, I didn't go higher than a seven. I gave a couple of sevens. Maybe oh, maybe a seven point five for the Mark Wade story. Yeah. Uh but but I also had like what, a, a couple of fours, a five and a six. Like, you know, it, yeah. it, it was I think a, your average probably came out to be about a six. Yeah. So What's, what's, you can't get excited about it. You can't, like, rave about a 6. You can say, yeah, it's fine, yeah. but... Uh, it's one thing spending $4 on a 6 out of 10 book. It's another thing spending $10 on a 6 out of 10 book. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, not not super super great, unfortunately. Uh, but that'll uh, bring an end to that. And uh, I also have to say goodbye to everyone. I did We did the uh, best of the week stuff. Uh, I did that with Connor before this segment. But I do have to say goodbye and... Uh, thank everyone for watching or listening. We do appreciate it. Um, you know, keep uh, keep all the support coming by liking, subscribing, commenting what you think of the books and all that. And down below, uh, if you're listening on an audio version, make sure you rate the podcast and give us like a five star review on your iTunes, your podcast addict, wherever you're listening. And of course, you can support us over at Patreon.com/slash/MailFuzzTV for as little as one dollar per month and get some bonuses for your trouble. Uh, most relevant is uh, $5 too. You get early access to the show by a day, so go check that out if you want to help keep all the content coming. Um, otherwise, get us on Twitter, at DC Comics Podcast. And I suppose I should mention, yeah, check out the Not So New 52 on the Comics oh, hey, YouTube channel. David's reading every single comic that was released as part of the New 52. 
on a weekly format because he's basically trying to murder himself with bad comics. Uh, so <laughs> go check. I've out already that. bought them all. I just need to read them. <laughs> um. So check out that. Uh, I already told you it was coming next week. I did that with uh with the ginger before this segment, so I have to worry about that. It's a weird episode. This is a weird episode of two halves. It is what it is. Uh, back to some regular programming next week. Um, I, I don't know exactly what's happening yet in terms of... I think we said on the, the first half that Connor expected to be there, but I'd already like pushed it with Matt, but now Matt's kind of sick off work, so I don't know if... Thing, like I have no idea if it's going to be both of them. I don't know if it's going to just be one of them, but either way, join us next week for some more comics from the multiverse and the finale of Strange Adventures. So, big stuff coming. Yeah, big stuff. So, thank you very much once again for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep reading comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.